South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. It is a very, very pleasant morning out there. I can't believe the differences in temperature. When I left my home in Bernie, it was 40 degrees this morning. I got here, it was 58, and it's going to go up near 70 today, which means it is going to be, again, just an absolutely wonderful day to get outside. Hope you're going to spend part of it in the yard, in the garden, taking a hike or out on your bicycle and just getting out and breathing some fresh air. Yeah, it's just, uh, uh, <laughs> I love winter in South Texas. But, hey, don't be misled. We're supposed to be pretty chilly by this time next weekend. Probably going to be just hovering just above the freezing mark. So don't put away those jackets and gloves and uh, warmer things because winter's not over. But it's your, uh, for the next few days, it's going to take a hiatus and it's going to be just a, just a wonderful time to be out and about. We're here for the next three hours to talk gardening. And then for an hour after that, I have the pleasure of sitting in with Dr. Kirby and talking about pet health. And uh, let's see, we've already got Amanda and Cosette and Larry. So uh, we're off to a good start this morning. And uh, you grab that last open line and we'll talk pretty shortly here. Um, Gosh, so many things to talk about. But most important is what's going on with you. That's why we start with Amanda. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing today? Oh, it's just, <laughs> it's a beautiful day out there. It uh, I think it's going to be a very, very good day. It sure is. Um, I've got a question. I've never planted garlic before, and uh-huh. this is the first time I've planted it. I planted it towards the last part of October. I planted good. like five heads, and only three of the cloves have popped up. And um, one looks really good, and two, it just seems like they they withered, and I can't find the little green parts anymore. Oh, wow. Um, So I was just wondering if you could give me maybe a rundown um, of how to grow garlic, and how soon can I expect the garlic cloves to pop up from the ground? (laughs) Well, they never pop up from the ground. Uh, Well, They they should put on growth. Uh, First of all, where did you get your garlic? At your place. Okay, uh, because it's there's been some bad garlic out there, and hopefully, um, you know that our suppliers had had some good quality. The things that go wrong with garlic, if it gets planted too deeply in the ground, it doesn't do real well. If it, uh, you know, doesn't get regular water, but not too much water, then uh, it it it's real picky about water when it first gets started. Once it is up and growing, uh, then you know, if he, if you let it get too dry, you'll have a problem with thrips insects. But uh, other than that, uh, it's it's really pretty easy. But we did have toward the end of October, we had some awfully wet times in there, and uh, it could be that little cloves just you know the mother nature just kept them too wet starting out. Um, the it's it's getting awful late now. Howard Garrett says we can plant more at almost any time, but uh, it does need a few months to grow and produce. At this point, I would be watering thoroughly whenever the soil is dry, like an inch or two deep, and uh, I'd be watering with some Hestergrow mixed in, probably about every two or three weeks. And there's still I, some of the garlic that I planted last year. I did not get garlic planted this year. I chose to plant leeks in that spot instead of garlic. So um, I can't really tell you how mine looks because I don't have any growing this year. But last year I had some of it pop up, you know, the sprouts pop up probably two or three months after I planted it. So um, 
Uh, it, it's certainly not too late for it to come up, but at this point, concentrate on watering but not keeping it too wet and feeding regularly. And uh, come about June or so, the top should uh, you know, start to break and fall over, and that'll be your sign that it's time to pull it out of the ground and uh, either dry it and, uh, or, or however you want to use it, or you can dry it, and it'll keep for several months. Okay, I guess that was my main question. Should I should I wait for it a little longer? I just didn't know if I should um, try to plant something else in there or just wait a little longer for that. Well, it's it's getting late on cool weather crops and it's too early for warm weather crops. So I would wait another month and. Um, you know, I, I think most of your nurseries are going to be out of garlic, but if you happen to be going by natural grocers or Whole Foods or somewhere that has organic garlic, buy one more one more pot of it and break it up into those six or eight cloves and go ahead and stick them in the ground. Even if they don't reach full size, they'll still be very flavorful and very useful. So uh, uh, if it were mine, I'd like to say I'd go ahead and uh, you won't get them from HEB because theirs have been treated to keep them from sprouting. But uh, natural grocers or Whole Foods or somewhere like that, go ahead and get one more pod and plant those six or eight little cloves in there because uh, I don't want Amanda to be without garlic this spring. <laughs> so what, what causes the green part of the clove when it comes up? What causes it to shrivel? And is it a, a bug that's eating it or is it just it, garlic? It could easily be a grub worm. We rarely see grub worm damage this late in the year, but we were seeing grub worm damage in early December. Uh, and I've, I've never seen it. We're sort of changing our recommendation on treating for grubs. And I think we're going to start recommending you treat probably March and, uh, June or July, whether you see the grubs or not, because damage has been extreme the past two years. So that's what it would most likely be after it. By this time, those grubs are through feeding. They're just sitting there waiting to turn into June bugs. And if you want to treat with some, uh, beneficial nematodes, you can, but they're, they've done all the damage they're going to do. Okay, sounds good. Well, I'll try to be more patient then. <laughs> well, be a little patient, but grab one more clove. You know, spend the 50 cents or whatever it costs and uh, plant just a few more little or grab one more pod and plant a few more cloves out there. They should be up sounds and growing good. in a week or two. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Amanda. Thank you for the call this yeah, morning. You have a good day. You too. Goodbye. All right, uh, Cosette is next. Cosette, good morning. Well, hello. Hello there. Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. You you have one of those memorable names. Well, you 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 got wise and got in early this morning before those lines completely filled up. So I'm glad to get to talk to you. So I have got so many questions for you, but feel free just cut me off at the pass, and I will call back next weekend. Well, I'm sure every there are probably about 10,000 other people want the answers to your questions. So let's get started. Okay. So I have a, a, a little bird bath uh, fountain in my backyard. I love it. It's really tranquil. I've got some great little birds that come around. I've got my bird feeder out. However, um, every other day when I go to clean out the bird feeder and I put a little bit of hydrogen peroxide, which by the way, I learned on your show and works very, very well. Yes, it does. Very well. Um, however, now when I go out there to scrub the bird bath, I find these bugs get on my legs and I'm not sure if, uh, 
if they're biting me or I have an overactive imagination that I don't like creepy crawlies <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, they, they look like what we would refer to as water bugs, which are essentially roaches, right? Right. Um, but they have like a, the, their front end, their head end goes to like a point. And there's and it split in the back? Yeah. Those that? are, they're, um, they're, they're several different things. Uh, they're uh, mainly kalimbalans is what they're called. They are a nuisance. Uh, the ones you're describing don't bite. There is something called a thrips insect uh, that will bite. It's not painful, but it's annoying, and it, it kind of itches. So um, if you want to be rid of them, you could spray some spinosad around uh, that's, you know, that's totally safe. You could probably spray some, you know, liquid garlic around and that would probably control them. Um, I usually, if I have them show up, I'm just gonna probably, uh, uh, just rub a little bit of, uh, one of the good deep free insect repellents on my legs just to keep them away. But to get rid of them, uh, spraying lightly with spinosad or garlic should, should get them out of your garden. Well, they used to just be exclusively around the bird bath, but now they're mm-hmm. everywhere. I was pulling weeds yesterday, and I'm yeah. so grossed out by them. <laughs> well, it's been, so far, it's been a very mild winter, and things that either would be dead or driven underground are up and in force. And uh, you blame Mother Nature, and uh, it's it's part of life in South Texas. It's you know every day it's a new uh, it's a new challenge, and those are sort of the bug of the month this month. Uh, they should settle down as we get a little closer to spring, but um, it's just it's just the warm weather. They they have not been killed or driven under under the ground like they typically would be. Yeah, because now when I'm out there scrubbing the bird bath, I'm constantly doing like a marching motion to keep them off my feet <laughs> and going around a circle. So my mom said it looks like I'm doing the Mexican hat dance. Uh huh. <laughs> well, my advice would be switch, quit scrubbing the bird bath. The birds don't mind, and uh, it doesn't hurt a bit to get a little algae in there. There's, uh, you know, rinse it out every now and then. Uh, and like you say, add that little bit of hydrogen peroxide to. Uh, um, you know, keep the algae down, but you know, if you, if you clean it every two or three months, you're doing plenty. You don't need to be out there every day scrubbing it out. The, the birds, the oh. birds don't really appreciate it. So, uh, um, if it makes you feel good, you feel free to go ahead and when you get through, you can come scrub mine. But, uh, there's absolutely no reason. There's not harmful to the birds in any way to have some of that, the, the many forms of algae that grow and, uh, uh, your hydrogen peroxide is going to keep it from being a problem. So, uh, I I would okay. spend a little more time gardening, a little less time scrubbing. Okay, awesome. So I have another potential insect issue. I noticed on, and this was a few months ago, I just haven't been able to get through to you, but I've noticed on the underside of the leaves of my oak tree, there are these hard brown balls under the yeah. leaves, and they're like yeah. on every single leaf. There are the uh, there are gall caused by something called a cynipid wasp, C Y N I P I D. Uh, they're totally harmless to the tree. Those leaves are all going to fall off within the next month or six weeks. So uh, it's just uh, a, another little thing nature does, and absolutely nothing for you to worry about. Yay! Okay, so those are my big one. Okay. Um, does Doctor does Doctor Kirby come on after you? Because I have a a, a related bird thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. He he okay. will he'll be in here about five minutes till eleven, and then we do the pet show from eleven until noon. Okay. Do you have time for one more question? 
One more question to be fine. Okay. So, as you know, we don't have, or I believe you know, we don't have a nursery around here. We do have one in Rockport. However, they have almost nothing. Um, okay. Like rock phosphate. I could never find anything. So, uh-huh. they're a lovely nursery. Um, so, in my front yard, it's west-facing. My grass is dead over there. I know we're all having issues because of drought. So uh, I had gone to Lowe's because I had no choice, and they had some um, gem boxes, dwarf inkberry holly. Uh huh. So I went to put those in my front yard just to create a little architectural or garden architectural something, just something of interest. Uh-huh. And I also got a Cape honeysuckle. So okay. I was thinking about putting the gem boxes kind of in a semicircle and putting the honeysuckle in the middle in front of one of my windows. However, I don't know, um, is it ugly in the winter time? Will it have no leaves? Well, you don't usually have much winter. Um, it's it's going to be evergreen most winters. You probably will want to cut it back to keep it from getting just hugely overgrown. It's not obviously as pretty in the winter months as it is in the summer with the beautiful flowers, but uh, it's not going to be unattractive. Uh, so, no, I think you'd be fine to... Uh, to put it toward the center and, and plant your baby gems around it. So would that be better? Or I also have a sky flower I've been waiting to plant in the ground. It depends on what you like. Yeah, it depends on what you like. Brazilian sky flower or giranta um, will bloom over a longer period of time and uh, doesn't get quite as large as Cape Honeysuckle, although it can, well, it doesn't spread out quite as much, I'll put it that way. But either of those would be beautiful. I think the sky flower will probably give you a little bit more color, but it's going to tend to be more of a bluish to purplish color. Whereas um, your uh, Cape Honeysuckle is going to be yellow to orange. So I would just decide which color you like. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bob. Well, let me ask you one more thing. Quickly tell me what your question for Dr. Kirby is because it's even harder to get into his show. And uh, I'll ask him the question on the air if you don't manage to get in there. Okay, so two of my kitty cats. The two kitty cats that I have that love sitting directly under the bird feeder and watching Uh birds, they love them. Um, They have been getting ill, and I've had to pay a lot of money. I've had to take one of my cats to uh, an animal hospital. He was having some weird respiratory issue. Another one was very ill for two weeks. Um, And it was at my subsequent visit to the vet that one of the vet techs had asked me, do you all have a bird feeder? And I was like, Uh yes. And uh, she said that she believes they're getting ill from some kind of fungus that grows in the bird poop. It's possible. And- yeah, there there are two or three things that do. Um, I will ask Dr. Kirby about that. You try to call in. Try to call right at 11 o'clock because, uh, okay. again, it's harder to get into his show than it is to mine. In the meantime, I would suggest whenever you get your bird seed, stick it in the freezer for 24 to 48 hours before you put it out. That will take care of any storage mites and will take care of most of the problems that might be in that bird seed. And, um, uh, again, try to... You you know, we do the same thing with dog and cat food. I learned that from Dr. Kirby a while back. But uh, try to uh, try to give a call at about that time, and um, and if you don't get through, I'll mention it to him. But in the meantime, freeze that seed for a couple of days before you put it out, and it'll probably take care of the problem. Awesome! Thanks so much, Bob. I appreciate it. You're, You're welcome, Cosette. You do the same. It's good to talk to you. Bye.
All right, uh, let's get a break out of the way. Larry will be up next, but I, first of all, get to talk to you about Medina Soil products, and we're talking fertilizers, we're talking soil improvers, we're talking things to make your house plants grow and stay beautiful, and when you get that vegetable garden off to a good start, I love Medina products. They're, they're natural products, they're organic products, or, you know, as close to organics you're going to get, things like their uh, their growing green fertilizer is certified organic. Medina's been around for over 50 years and every product they make works with nature than working rather than working against it like your uh, synthetic products do. Medina makes, like I say, the growing green fertilizer which is great for grass and trees and shrubs and ground covers and vegetable gardens and flower beds and just about anything that grows in the ground. They make their liquid fertilizers. A has to grow plant, the has to grow lawn, the wonderful new liquid fish uh, blend fertilizer those are great for house plants. I use them on my orchids. They're and they're good as a follow up in the vegetable garden or the flower garden to keep things growing and blooming and producing. They make their soil activator and their Medina Plus to work at softening your soil over time. It's not something that any one treatment's going to do, but over time, that's what they built the company around, helping farmers and ranchers who have improved their soil on probably millions of acres of land by now. Their products are used worldwide. I've always felt like they work best right here where they were developed. If you see the name Medina on the package, whether it's a blended product like this or whether it's their orange oil or molasses or seaweed, you're getting quality. Remember the name, Medina Agriculture. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Larry and Michael and Linda, and Larry is up first. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. How are you today? I'm good, sir. How about yourself? Wonderful, wonderful. I'm <laughs> Glad at, we're not uh, fighting a snowstorm like everybody up north is. But but oh, don't tell know, them. We've got plenty of them down here already. <laughs> <laughs> um, I live down around Pleasanton, and I'm wanting to um, grow some orange trees. Could you give me some varieties right. that would be good up here? Your your best ones are going to be actually tangerines. Uh, okay. My favorites, there is one called Seto, S-E-T-O. There's one called Miho, M-I-H-O. There's one called Brown Select. Uh, there's one called Kimbro, K-I-M-B-R-O-U-G-H. Those are all very good varieties. The big advancement in these uh, Satsumas over the years has been that they don't have so many seeds. The The old original one was called Changsha, and there were 25, 30 seeds in every orange. The new ones have two or three. So, um, you know, down there you should be able to do very well with them. They are cold-hardy down into the upper teens, so winter is not going to be a problem, and uh, all of them are heavy producers. So uh, the main difference is in the shape of the fruit uh but you know i'd I'd plant two or three varieties and um and you should be you should be feeding the neighborhood in a couple of years well that sounds good i appreciate that you said they all are tangerine yeah they all are tangerines and the reason i recommend those most highly are because they are they are so cold hardy you're just you know one year out of 50 you might have a cold enough year to 
potentially do any damage to them. Now, a lot of people are very tempted to grow blood oranges and navel oranges and all of those, but those guys are much more cold sensitive, and if you've lived around Pleasanton very long, you know it can get pretty darn chilly, and your your true oranges are going to be badly damaged when the temperature gets down or below the mid-20s. So if you want something that's going to give you wonderful citrus and not have to worry about the temperatures, that's why I recommend the tangerines most highly. All righty. I appreciate your help. Well, I appreciate your call this morning. You get out and have a great day, Larry. Thank you. I will. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye. Okay, Michael is next. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. It's a beautiful day. Good morning, sir. It is truly a gorgeous day out there. Quick question. Um, is it too late to put a pre-emergent down for them spring and summer weeds? And if it's not too late, what would you recommend? Oh, that's a great question. Um, it is too late on a lot of things because the the cool weather weeds that sprout are things like dandelions and henbit and this winter grass. And I can tell you from my looking at my yard, they're all up and growing. And uh, what pre-emergent herbicides do is they do not kill weed seeds. Uh, they simply they allow the weed to germinate, but then keep it from developing a root system so it shrivels and dies unless we get just constant days of rain. So anything that's up and growing, it's not going to have any effect against. Summertime weeds, the pre-emergent is going to be decomposed and gone before they start sprouting. So uh, to me, it would be a total waste of time and money to put any sort of pre-emergent out now. If you choose to... Go ahead. I, yeah, my, my concern was because uh, I know I, I get a lot of stickers. And of course, right yes, now, sir. They're, they're, they're not showing, but uh-huh. that was my concern. I know it's real hard to control them. And in uh, probably late March, early April, I plan on getting some uh, sod laid down, some of that... Okay. Uh, uh, I can't think of the brand. Is it Floratam? Floratam is uh, is is your best for sunny areas, right, and uh, right. My it, yeah, it's. Yeah, um, and Floratam, if you like St. Augustine, would be, would be your best bet. Uh, there are some Bermudas that are other choices, but Floratam certainly has the longest green season, and uh, it, it's the prettiest. Well, I don't know. It's 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 in many ways a very desirable grass. You do have to water it. The difference in Bermuda and St. Augustine, if you stop watering Bermuda, it turns brown and then comes back when it gets water. Stop watering St. Augustine, it dies. So um, I, I always recommend to people, you know, use it in the areas you need it but these days nobody needs fence to fence uh lawn of any sort there are many more right. more interesting right. things to plant so um if you want to kill the green weeds that are out there now you can get out there and spray with vinegar and orange oil because it's not going to hurt you know any grass that you have because it's browned out i just mow them down because even things like yeah. clover they're actually building the soil and if you the best the best defense against grass burrs I've ever found is putting down a bit of compost. And I don't know how big okay. the area you're doing is, but um, I, I had an area, a place where we set up a croquet set. Uh, somebody told me I'm telling my age now, but I guess that's okay. But uh, we set up a croquet set and play. And, I mean, the grass burrs got so thick in there, the dogs wouldn't try to walk into it. All I did was put down an organic fertilizer, put down about half an inch of compost, and I went from having literally hundreds of grass burrs, I think I pull three plants the whole next season. So there's something magic about compost as far as destroying those seed 
weeds, um, you know, or at least keeping them from growing. So uh, in the areas that are of greatest concern to you, if you can, and do it right away because you don't want to put fresh compost down and then lay sod on top of it. But if you were to put your compost down now, that compost is, uh, put your, yeah, put your compost down now, that compost is going to break down to the point it would be perfect and would really help your sod when you plant that a couple of months from now so uh, that would be I'm, I'm certainly not going to tell you to go spend a bunch of money on any kind of chemicals or even the yeah. corn gluten meal well, which is yeah, a natural pre-emergent because I, I pretty much have gone those routes and it's uh, yeah. <laughs> it's really it's, it's short-lived and so yeah and I, it's, the only it's thing just, I haven't tried was the compost and I'm, I'm going to definitely do that well, it sure did work for me, and, um, uh, and again, get a, healthy yard, get a healthy yard going, and hopefully check out, choke out some more of it. Yes, sir. What what area do you live in? I'm in Divine. Okay, yeah. Um, the one thing you want to avoid is uh, is biosolids compost because there's uh, there's so much uh, potential for pharmaceuticals and hormones and stuff like that in our biosolids these days. So just a good manure compost. I don't know if uh, uh, if Fred Morales is bringing in. He used to bring in a pretty good compost over there um and you know really any of the compost i like a blended compost best but uh even the cotton burrow mushroom compost aren't bad but uh if you can find somewhere has uh has good blended compost and morales would be where i'd start um that's gonna should work wonders for you. you let me know how it does i appreciate it sir thank you so much Appreciate you, Michael. Thank you, yeah, sir. <laughs> you too. Goodbye. All right. Uh, we need to take another quick break here. Oh, and guess what? I get to talk about Morales Feed. I guess I don't need to do that commercial since I just talked about him. Kidding, of course. But uh, no, Fred Morales and, and Morales Feed locations in Divine and also up in uh, Utopia, or I'm sorry, up in Lakey. Um, they're just, they've got everything the farmer and rancher needs. And they've got things for homeowners and they've got things for people who are farming and ranching hundreds of acres. Fred has done so much to bring organics to the world of South Texas. He's done so much to conserve water by bringing that K-line irrigation system to South Texas. Let me tell you, it uses a third of the water. It's the most efficient irrigation system I've ever seen. And if you're looking for your standard feed store products, you're going to find them at Morales Feed. But if you're looking for bulk material he's going to offer you organic fertilizer at as low or lower a price than you're paying for synthetics and organic fertilizers well they're hygroscopic they actually attract water to them they don't break down they don't destroy the microbial life in the soil they build your soil instead of depleting it and fred has plenty of it on hand he can deliver it to you he can actually deliver it to you in a spreader where you just hook it up tow it around and spread the fertilizer or he will do that for you too whatever your needs are and if you're looking to plant some cover crops if you're looking to plant some grass uh, you know he can actually blend the seed into the fertilizer and put it out all in one operation there are so many quality services from the quality people at morales feed talk to him about all your farm ranch and homeowner gardening needs at morales feed south texas gardening with bob webster is on the air news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071 all right, back to gardening, and uh, looks like she'll be uh, Linda and Mark and Elizabeth, and Linda is up first. Good morning, Linda. Good morning, Bob. Good I morning. Down in the Mat- I live down in the Matagorda area, and okay. my yard is shady, and I'd like to lay down some grass. What do you suggest? 
Well, St. Augustine is the only grass that is going to do well in a shady spot, and the two best of the uh, of the shade-loving St. Augustines are one is called Palmetto, the other is called Delmar, D-E-L-M-A-R, and uh, those are, in my opinion, the most shade-tolerant of the St. Augustines. They call them a semi-dwarf, which means they don't grow as quickly, which means you're not going to have to mow as often. So you kind of get the best of all worlds, a little less work, a beautiful grass, and something that is happy in the shade. So I would suggest either Palmetto or Delmar St. Augustine. Thank you. How about for a ground cover? I have this tree that's putting out knobs, and I'm running my lawnmower across there and hurting the bite. <laughs> so, sure. Uh, anything for a ground cover? Well, the most widely used ground cover, because it is so hardy, is uh, Asiatic jasmine or Asian jasmine. It's very common, just simply because it just doesn't have a lot of problems. It, it'll it take a couple of years to get really well established. The old saying about any ground cover is the first year they sleep, the second year they creep, and the third year they leap. So um, if uh, I, that would be probably number one on my list. If you wanted something more grass-like, uh, there is a dwarf monkey grass or dwarf bondo grass, which only grows a couple of inches tall. Beautiful, also slow-growing, and you have to plant it a little bit closer together, but uh, it would certainly do well there. You can look at, there is a, uh, there's a vining plant called vinca. Don't confuse it with the flowering one we get, you know, in multiple colors uh, in the summer months, but uh, vinca major and vinca minor are two different varieties, and, and it is a beautiful ground cover. It actually has some purple flowers periodically. It is much faster growing, but it is very susceptible to a little caterpillar that gets after it every now and then. Now, my grandfather had a huge patch of it in his backyard, and literally, it could be beautiful on Friday, and you leave town for the weekend, and on Monday, you had nothing but green stems left out there. Not going to kill it. It's going to come back out, but uh, you just have to keep an eye on it, and if this little caterpillar gets after it, just spray some BT. So again, I like both Vinca Major and Vinca Minor. Vinca Minor is probably a little bit better, you know, in a shady spot. But um, the only real advantage is is just that it grows a lot faster. It's going to be thicker. It's going to be like a you know a foot thick, whereas a dwarf monkey grass is going to be two inches, and Asian jasmine is going to be three or four inches. So those are going to be my top three choices for the Matagorda area. Okay, thank you very much. Love your show. Well, I appreciate your support, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Thanks, Linda. How can we not? How can we not with this weather? <laughs> well, there's some people that will find a way, <laughs> but we don't. We don't need to get political on that. So, uh, no, gardeners are gonna. No. All us gardeners are gonna have a, a great weekend, and I know you're. I know you're looking forward to it. So get out and enjoy. Thank okay, you so much. Thanks for the help. Certainly. Bye. Goodbye. All right, uh, Mark is up next. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? I'm good. How about you today? Pretty good. I had a question. Um, I bought uh, three type of seed potatoes, uh, Red Norland, uh, Red Pontiac, and Yukon Gold. And okay. I'm trying to get your suggestions on how I should go about planting and storing them once, once I uh, harvest them. Okay. Um, uh, where, whereabouts do you live? I live out in uh, Atkins, from the uh, okay, uh, outside okay, of San Antonio. 
Yeah, you you can probably plant almost any time. If you're in the hill country like I am, I'd tell you to wait two, three weeks before you plant them. But planting seed potatoes is easy. Uh, you're going to take those potatoes. The Yukon Gold are probably going to be the smallest of the batch but uh, of the three you mentioned. But you're going to cut them into pieces, leaving at least two eyes on each piece of, uh, of potato. Uh, you're going to roll those cut pieces. They're going to be, you know, pretty moist and sticky on the cut edges. Roll them either in wood ashes or in rock phosphate, powdered rock phosphate. And then just plant them. I plant them about 12 to 15 inches apart. I plant them so the top of the seed potato is about in, between an inch and two inches below the surface of the ground. Doesn't have to be exact. Um, but, uh, you're gonna plant them, you're going to water them, and, uh, uh, again, before I plant, I usually just scatter some good or dry organic fertilizer over the area. And, uh, potatoes are one of the easiest things to grow, uh, and with your red varieties, they also make wonderful new potatoes. What's going to happen is these things are going to sprout and start growing. If we get a late freeze, you can freeze the top of them, and they'll still come back out again. But, uh, in Atkins area, you're probably, you're probably not going to have to worry about that. So I'd, I'd, I'd plant almost any time. But, uh, the top of the potato will begin to grow in about six weeks. If you were to take your finger and start probing in the soil around the base of the plant, you're going to find little golf ball sized potatoes growing, and those are what we commonly call new potatoes. Now, once again, this is on the red variety. It's not so much on Yukon Gold. But, uh, you can pop a few of those out, and they are just, oh, they're just incredibly delicious. Um, and, and you can go on doing this right along by midsummer or by early summer, uh, probably somewhere between mid-May and mid-June, depending on the weather. The tops are going to begin to die off. And at that point, you'll uh, probably want to go dig the potatoes and, uh, you'll find that the ones that are right directly underneath the plant are going to be your bigger potatoes. They're going to be the size of the seed potatoes you're starting with. And, uh, if you choose not to harvest little new potatoes, then, uh, you'll have a few more big ones underneath. But, you know, I, I like the new potatoes <laughs> as well as I like the big ones. So, uh, they're yeah, just a I, very, I like those too. And I, I... Yeah, I forgot to mention, uh, I'm going to uh, plant them in uh, these big uh, molasses tubs that I got from Panics. Okay, sure. And okay. Is, there, is, there a diff- is there a difference between planting those in tubs and in the ground? Uh, if you got plenty of tubs, there'll be no difference whatsoever. It's just going to be volume. Uh, molasses tub, I would probably put... Oh, I probably put about five uh, pieces of potato in there. I put one in the center and then four or five just kind of ringed out around toward the outside edge. Uh, you'll do just fine with them in a molasses tub. You won't have to dig over to harvest, bend over to harvest them. So <laughs> there's something to be said for that. Yeah. And what kind of soil do they take? You could actually probably just dig some of your garden soil. Uh, it's going to be as good or better if you take if you take the soil you've got out there and you know mix maybe one third compost, two thirds soils. That's going to be better than anything you can buy, uh, and especially the first year. Any of the purchase mixes, and I love what Stone and Soil Depot makes, but uh, it takes it a year or two to really mellow out. You're fortunate that you live in an area that has reasonably good soil to begin with, and if you amend it with a little bit of compost, it's going to save you a lot of money as far as trying to buy stuff and fill those tubs up. Just be sure you drill a bunch of holes in the bottom because anything right. you plant in there, potatoes or anything else, is going to want some good drainage. Is peat moss bad for uh, 
potatoes. Uh, I, I keep hearing different things about peat moss. Well, peat moss is bad for the soil, in my opinion. It's uh, it's not a renewable resource. Depend, you know, what no matter what they tell you, that's uh, it, it because it takes many more years for it to grow, and they're really depleting the peat areas in Canada. But uh, the main problem with it with soils is that it uh, is antimicrobial. And the thing that makes a soil healthy and keeps it open and loose is microbial activity. And peat moss is about the most antimicrobial material in the world. It's a great preservative. Um, I had the pleasure of going to Ireland a few years ago, saw a chunk of butter they figured had been buried in a peat bog for a 100 years, and it was absolutely perfect. Saw the head of a red stag deer that went extinct about 5,000 years ago, but it fell into a peat bog, and it was perfectly preserved. That might be good for some things, but it's not good for your soil. So anywhere I right. see a soil blend that calls for peat moss, I substitute compost. Um, if you don't have a good source of compost, you can use something called core, C-O-I-R, which is composted coconut fiber, which uh, is very good. But uh, great question. I, I stay strictly away from peat moss. and uh, Okay. Uh, so uh, I would, before you plant your potatoes, like I say, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd just sprinkle some fertilizer on the surface and work it in as I go. But uh, you're going to have a lot of fun growing potatoes. And if you have kids or grandkids around, uh, they love getting out there and, and helping you harvest those new potatoes. And it's just it's just one of those fun things. I grew up with my grandfather working in his flower shop and greenhouses. And uh, I think kids that grow up close to the soil uh, tend to grow up uh, as a little bit better adjusted adults. <laughs> and you probably would agree, agree with that. I agree. Yes, yes sir. Well, I'll have fun with your have fun with your potatoes and have fun with your garden in general and um, you know fill those the soil no matter what soil you use it's going to settle a bit so you're probably going to want to come pretty close to filling those molasses tubs to the top because it's going to settle down a couple of inches and that'll be perfect for watering and don't be tempted like some people uh, I have people always say well now I want to put a rock in the bottom half so I don't have to use so much soil. And I tell them, well, only use the rock in the place you don't want healthy plants. Anywhere you want good, healthy plants, the more soil you have, the more roots you have, the healthier your plants are going to stay. So going to be a little bit of work getting started, but that soil is going to be good for the next 100 years. So do it right the first time, and you won't have to do it again. Well, that sounds good. I really appreciate the information, sir. Always a pleasure, Mark. You enjoy. You call right, me if you have any more questions. <laughs> thank okay, you so much. It. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right, let me get my last hour out, my last break of the hour out of the way, and uh, Elizabeth will be up next. I get to talk to you about Fanix, and uh, Mark was just mentioning that was his source to go over and get some molasses tubs. Fanix has been around for over 80 years now, same family, absolutely wonderful people. I briefly, right, I guess 80, Eddie Fanick was 80 years old when I first met him and uh, still running the place and running around at his golf course. His son, John, was a very good friend. We served on a number of horticultural endeavors together. And now uh, his grandsons, Mark and Mike, and I think they probably got another generation coming on as well. They're the guys that are running the nursery and, uh, you know, along with his sister. And, and it's just wonderful people with an incredibly diverse nursery. Ten acres of ground, they've got room for all those fruit trees. And they've got container-grown trees trees as well as bare root trees right now they've got they've got seed potatoes talking about such things they've got berry plants of all sorts and uh again with that much room they always have some experimental varieties of things over there too and um, yeah if you want to give something different a try it's you're probably going to find it over at fanix they have uh, some great gift ideas for valentine's day coming up 
as well as some little bit bigger items. If you've got a person who works in the yard, I almost said a guy, but I know a lot of ladies that do as much yard work as the guys do. But I tell you, check out that new lithium-ion battery-powered equipment. Uh, quiet, powerful, and, you know, no pollution. You don't have to pull a cord to start them. You just squeeze a trigger. It's really neat stuff uh, that you're carrying over at Fanix now. Plus, they've got the Traeger pellet grills and all the supplies. Every day's a good day to go see Fanix right over on Home Green Road, where they've been for over eight years now south texas gardening with bob webster news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071 all right what a beautiful morning it is out there <laughs> it's i uh, hope you're planning to get out and enjoy this great day uh next two callers are going to be elizabeth and kamala and elizabeth is up first good morning um good morning bob good morning i took I took some Althea cuttings in late December. It's been about six weeks now. Um, they all have new uh, leaves on them. They all okay. have great color. The leaves are now anywhere from a half an inch to an inch and a half. They okay. are in 100% perlite. What is my next step? And tell me again what kind of plants? It's an Althea or a rose of Oh, Althea. Althea. Sure, Althea. Yes. Um, you know, many times on Althea, um, the top, the leaves start coming out before it is really well rooted. I'm probably going to leave them in the perlite for another three or four weeks, but I'm going to start, instead of just putting water on the perlite, I'm going to start adding some Hastagrow or another good organic liquid fertilizer. And, you know, you can lift up really gently if you want. And, uh, and if you feel, I mean, if the cutting, you know, feels like it's fairly firmly in the perlite, you'll know that your roots are off to a good start. But I, again, at this point, I'd start fertilizing, but I'd probably give them another month before I, uh, actually take them out and, uh, with the end of the individual plants. Uh, I, if it's possible, I would pop them into containers, let them grow for probably another six months, get up to be a little bit bigger before you actually plant them in the ground. But um, it sounds like you did a really good job, <laughs> and I think you're going to have some yeah. beautiful altheas as a result. But, uh, yeah, so fertilize them, leave them in, the, and, and, you know, feed them every time you water, If you, every time you put perlite on the, on the, or put water on the perlite, if you like. A month from now, I would move them into small containers, grow them on until the summer months, and then we'll see how big they are, and it'd probably be safe to plant them out in the yard or share with friends or whatever at that point. When I move them into the containers in about six months, at that point, is that when I add to 50-50? Do I make it perlite and potting soil? I just go straight potting soil, and I do it in about six weeks rather than about six months. But just, uh, you know, go with I mean, uh, with weeks, any... Yes. Yeah, go with any good potting soil, uh, any good organic potting soil, none of this miracle grow stuff full of peat moss. But, uh, um, yeah, it, uh, you just go with straight potting soil. You keep feeding, keep them out in the sun, and they'll take off and turn into nice plants. They're not fast growing, but they're not as slow as some things either. Okay. And the size of the containers, I just have them in paper cups right now. Would I move them up to four inch? I would probably move them to four inch. Um, if, if any of them are really big, if any of them are six inches or taller, go ahead and put them in gallon containers. But, uh, if they haven't grown a whole lot in size, a four inch pot would be where I'd go. Thank you. Have a wonderful you, day. You do the same. Thank you. All right. Uh, Kamala is up next. Good morning, Kamala. Hi. Hi there. I've got, <laughs> I've got one bigger question than a, a second. 
Okay. Kamala, I think you might have hit mute on your phone. Are you there? Oh, your phone just totally cut out on you. Well, I tell you what, uh, we'll try to get you back and we'll make you up first after the news. Uh, just maybe a minute and a half here. So let me just talk about a couple of things. Um, it's of all the things you can do these days, uh, putting out some organic fertilizer on everything in your landscape, your grass, your trees, your shrubs, ground covers, vegetable garden, flower beds. This is a great time to feed. I know things really haven't started growing a lot yet, but fertilizer is not used instantly by your plants. Uh, just like food is not instantly used by your body, has to be digested first. Put your fertilizer out so the microbes in the soil can digest that fertilizer, get it into your plants. So when that good burst of spring growth starts, uh, it, it'll have all the nutrition it needs. So fertilizing is one thing I will recommend very highly today. Um, also, if you want to get some color out there, petunias, they're going to go well into the heat. Dianthus are the same way. Snapdragons are going to last until June or July. It's definitely too early to be planting things like begonias or periwinkles or anything like that. But if yards are looking a little bit drab, uh, between the stock and the dianthus and the pansies and Johnny Jump Ups, there's some beautiful things that will last you up until it gets fairly hot. And then, like I say, there's some things like uh, like your petunias and all that will go well into the summer. Vegetable gardening, if you're planting plants, uh, you know, you can still probably plant some charge. You can probably still plant kale, maybe even some more broccoli. It's awfully late to start things from seed. Spinach, yes, from plants, no from seed. It's just too late on that. Uh, asparagus, most of your nurseries have beautiful asparagus crowns this year. And if you've been thinking about asparagus, plant asparagus. Just plant a bunch of them. It's not something you plant one or two plants of. You're going to really grow asparagus. You're going to need a dozen or two, I think, just at a very, very bare minimum. Uh, potatoes, if you're down south, uh, you probably put your potatoes in the ground. Uh, if you're north San Antonio or up into the hill country, I'm going to wait about two weeks before I plant mine. Once again, certainly time to get the soil ready. Get it ready for those potato or for those tomatoes and things as well. Right back on KTSA Radio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, back to gardening. A little breezy out there all of a sudden, but that seems to be passing through. Just an absolutely gorgeous South Texas. Uh, I'm going to stop calling it late winter and start calling it early spring morning. <laughs> I'm just going to be optimistic that we, uh, we've gotten over the big hump of really severe weather. Now, I know it can be cold. Our latest freeze ever was actually not until the 4th of April. So going to be careful what I plant, but I tell you what, I'm going to be spending a lot more time outside with uh, and not being so bundled up. Hope you're going to do the same. Uh, Kamala got that phone line back, so uh, glad you got right back in. Good morning. Good morning. Kamala, good morning. I'm glad good morning. to hear it's early spring. Can you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> I hear you just fine. Thank you. A lot of late winter to do, including you inspired me yesterday, and I went to Shades of Green and bought e- leeks. Oh, um, good. And I have a quick question about them and then a, a little longer question. And okay. the leeks are, they're not as long as, you know, ordinarily you would plant them out yet, the little uh-huh. bunches. Um, and so I'm wondering, should I pot them? Should I put them in little pots or in a tray? No, or no. What? Put them in the ground. Put them in the ground. Put mine went. Ground mine now. went. Yeah, mine went into the ground two weeks ago. Uh, they're already starting okay. to put on new foliage. They are as cold hardy as onions are, and it would be 
it would be most unusual. You know, I never use the word normal when I talk about Texas weather. I talk about typical weather. <laughs> and it would be very atypical for us to have the kind of cold that would do any damage at all to your leaks. So get them in the ground this afternoon if you possibly can. Okay, I'll do that. And my my other question, I had called in, and it was a real short call um, a couple months ago, where I had gotten this little vacant lot. And I uh-huh. have a, I'm doing all sorts of things on it, but I have a question. The city had put down, like, last spring or something, and one of the neighbors there who had seen them said, you know, the grass was already almost dead, but they put down these patches of grass, whatever <laughs> they call it. I don't do grass very much. Well, uh, good. <laughs> anyway, it was... It was just around, it's just around the edge of my lot. But uh-huh. my question is, and so I want to put, um, you know, some, maybe some habitat or some kind of ground cover just around the edge there. But, but do, should I pull that? It's dead. As far as I can tell, it's, I mean, I don't think it's just like winter dead. I think there's yeah. nothing there yet. But it <laughs> it's, is it's permanently, permanently and dormant and instead of temporarily dormant. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, should I pull it up or should I leave it there to to be, you know, sort of molt, break down? And it's, I that's, that's totally up to you. You know, if it were mine, I would go out and lift up on it. If it seems to have any roots in the ground, I would leave it there. If that whole big, you know, piece of it just lifts away from the ground, I'd kind of turn it into a compost pile. I'd just take a corner, you know, not so visible, and I'd just pile it up there and go ahead with whatever's going to please Kamalites. It is, you know, don't get me started on the city and their their uh, practices <laughs> occasionally. And the sad thing is it's our money that they're wasting when they do this. But. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I, I can't criticize every elected official because I'm actually an elected official up in the hill country, but I'm damn sure not a politician. <laughs> and so, well, uh, it's our job to point out when they're doing things crappy. <laughs> and to say thank you when they do them right. You're exactly correct. But no, I, I would like to say if it's rooted in, it might surprise you. It might actually green up. Uh, if it's St. Augustine, it's almost certainly just totally dead. But they, uh, they did a little road work up the street from our nursery here. And I'm watching these guys putting down this stuff and thinking why. The only thing I can say they did right for the most part was they got it right side up. Although I actually saw a couple of pieces <laughs> that they put upside down. But that's a whole other story for a whole nother. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's comedic. Yeah. You know, a comedian can make a pretty good story out of uh, how, how some of the city crews work, but <laughs> we won't go there. But uh, you're going to do it right, and you just need to decide what you what you really want. If you uh, have a turf, is a great combination. It's actually three different native grasses. It does That's require right. good sun. If this area is shady probably not what you want to do it's not, but if it's it, full sun and so okay. that's why it that's part of why i got it yeah um, but that you're gonna turf, i think would be planted much later and so if i were i mean you know it's it's a warm weather thing but you can plant I mean, it any time but but, yeah. but i guess part of my concern is if i go in there and pull it up and then i have you know like is there something i could put in that would just ground cover that would grow nice and low for for a few months, and then later I'll some of the things that I really want I can. You know, it's it's not too late through. to actually it's not too late to throw a little winter rye out there. 
Uh, it'll sprout and be up and green in three or four days, and it's going to hold the soil in place. It's going to, you know, be pretty and green all the way up until early summer, which you can, uh, it'll buy you time to figure out exactly what you want to do yeah. with your wonderful new property. So I'd, I'd call around and see. You know, most nurseries are still going to have some of the uh, some of the rye seed. I would not plant the Oregon rye. That's just it's tall and nasty. Right. But uh, um, there there's some good varieties of uh, winter rye that are, you know, a little more compact in their growth habit. And uh, I I wouldn't hesitate to uh, go ahead and plant that. It's going to be green in a week if you put a little water on it and uh, be great for you. Do you have any? Uh any varieties there at Shades of Green right now or not? We do. Uh, I'd have to go look and see, but I, I noticed yeah. we had several bags of it still left, uh, you know, yesterday. So, yeah, yeah, we okay. certainly should if it's okay. convenient. That's, that makes the most sense probably. Okay, because I don't want to get in trouble with the city. Then they'll come by and say, you pulled up your car. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> you know. I uh, yeah I you know I, I, we we won't more. even go there you know we're we're gonna stay positive today and I'm positive that uh, uh, that it's not a very smart thing that they and it wouldn't be bad you know they put down good stuff but then they don't follow up uh, highway department at right. least you know give got those big water trucks that come back and give it a chance to get established but I just shake my head in wonderment sometimes and uh, but. But anyway, it's uh, at least it's going to let you plant what you want instead of settling for what they decided was the cheapest thing they can find and plant. But no, yeah. get a little bit of the uh, uh, top flight is uh, is the main one that we've carried this year, and so far as I know, everybody's been well pleased with it. And uh, like I say, it'll be up and green in less than a week. So uh, uh, pick some up when it's convenient and uh, and get on with this beautiful weather. Okay, thank you so much. Have a have a great day outside. You do the same. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it, Carla. Thank you. Certainly. Goodbye. All right, Lonnie is up next. Good morning, Lonnie. Good morning, Bob. Morning, um, sir. I think this is called uh, closing the closing the gate after the cows have escaped. <laughs> but uh, two or three days ago, I, uh, I figured it was safe to uh, prune a redbud tree. And after the first cut, I determined the tree was not dormant. Okay. And which was a surprise to me. But uh, now I'm afraid that any uh, significant uh, bloom of uh, blooms I would have expected are now are now dead, <laughs> so to speak. Um, is that correct, do you think? Well, uh, you know, um, if you're going to prune red buds, I generally let them bloom first because anything that, it doesn't matter whether it's dormant or not, the buds on trees like red buds and mount laurels and plants like flowering quince and spirea and Indian hawthorn, on all of those and climbing roses as well, those buds actually formed last fall. And so that particular group of plants, we want to let them bloom first and then prune them. It doesn't, you, you didn't create any more problem by pruning now than you would have if you pruned a, a month ago or, you know, at any point. But in the future, 
Let your red bud bloom and then do any pruning that you need to do after it's already bloomed. You haven't hurt the tree at all, and uh, the parts of the tree that are still intact are still going to give you, you know, plenty of beautiful blooms. But uh, the the buds were already formed. The buds, uh, red buds do not bloom on new wood, neither do mountain laurels or hawthorns or the other things that I mentioned. Summer flowering things like crepe myrtles bloom on new wood uh, rather than old wood, and so that's why it's fine to prune them at this time of year. So um, you've pruned too early, but you haven't harmed the tree in any way you've just you've just taken off some of the branches that would have had flowers on them so don't beat yourself up too badly you've sacrificed a little flowering but you you haven't harmed the tree in any way lonnie well you yeah, know but that was that, that was my primary concern that i had uh, uh vitiated uh, the uh, ability to have a nice full blooming tree well, you know, the, the cows are not only out of the barn, they're down the road. <laughs> you, you, you can't get them back in this time around. And uh, uh, But just always remember that uh, all all things, whether it's wisteria or, you know, mount laurels or plums or ornamental peaches, I'm just running through some of the trees that do bloom in early spring, the Mexican buckeye, uh, all of those things actually form their buds in the fall. They don't bloom on new wood. They bloom on old wood. So you got to keep those pruning shears put away until they finish blooming, and then you're safe to get out and prune. Now, you're going to have some flowering. It's just... It's just not going to be as pretty as it would have been if you called me before you got out there and pruned. Yeah, yeah that's what I figured. Um, learning, we, we learn from our mistakes, and uh, um, that's, that's what I tell new employees. You know, everybody makes a mistake. Just don't make the same mistake twice. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me see. I, I have a um, – goodness, what is that name? Uh, it's uh, – uh, well, I had another tree that, or a shrub that is uh, badly in need of pruning. But mm-hmm. I see all, all kinds of, uh, um, of, 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 well, they actually are flowering, and so now, okay. sir, just as soon as it finishes abelia, flowering, abelia, abelia was oh, abelia, was, yeah. Well, uh, glossy abelia so, blooms. Yeah, glossy abelia blooms on both new and old wood. Um, if you want to enjoy the flowers and then prune, you can. If you want to go ahead and prune it, it will continue to put on flowers all summer long. So that's one that you can prune at any time. Uh, if it really needs pruning, you do need to get that pruning done before it starts making too much new growth. So, uh, uh, abelia is one of the ones that, uh, that I, you know, I would go ahead and prune. Now, spirea, that's a different story. Spirea only blooms in the spring, so let it bloom first and then prune. But if this is abelia, whether it's rose cleek or creek or glossy or compact. It's a, uh, it's a white, it has a white blossom. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, if it is uh, if it is uh, abelia, you can go ahead and prune it now and it will continue to make blossoms on into the summer. Okay, good enough. Thank you much, Bob. Always a pleasure, Lonnie. Thanks for the call this morning. Sure. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.
All right, Baron, hang on a second. She'll be up next after a little break here. And uh, winter is not totally over, especially if you're up in the hill country. You might just want to get out and get freeze misers for all your faucets if you haven't done so already. My weather forecast is showing next Sunday morning could be as low as 25 degrees. And if you're way up in the hill country, you're going to be pushing closer to 20 degrees. So don't think we're past faucet dripping season at all. Of course, if you have freeze misers, you'll never drip a hydrant again because the freeze miser does that for you automatically. No batteries, no wires, nothing to break down and go wrong. It's just a an incredibly clever little device. You screw onto the hydrant, turn the water on. Nothing comes out unless or until the water in the hydrant approaches 40 degrees. When it gets close to freezing, the freeze miser starts dripping automatically. And as soon as it warms up, it stops dripping. So you don't have to do anything over and over. You don't have to remember to drip your hydrants. You don't have to get up at midnight and run out and drip them just because you suddenly learned it's going to get colder than they thought. The freeze miser does all of that for you. And if you're like I am on some of my hydrants where I have hoses that I use in the winter, just put a Y connector on there. Put your freeze miser on one side and your hose on the other side. Got a water trough with a float valve on it? Well, put your Y connector right above your float valve and uh, put your freeze miser on one, your float valve on the other end of that. And then all the any water that comes out when it gets near freezing, it's going to go right into your trough and not be wasted. I just can't say enough nice things about the freeze miser. They've made my life a lot easier. If you have a friend uh, that you know that worries about dripping hydrants, it'd even make a good Valentine's gift. The freeze miser, M-I-S-E-R. You can uh, look them up online at freezemiser.com. You're not going to find them in the box stores, but good nurseries and good hardware stores all around carry the freeze miser south texas gardening with bob webster is on the air news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071 all right well i guess this is going to be the the guy's little segment right here because i've got baron and robert and jack waiting and baron is up first good morning sir good morning bob morning first question i've got a tree id i'm trying to uh get done it is i've been told it's a japanese ligustrum but it's got dark okay. waxy leaves uh-huh it's got blueberry clusters it's got a yeah that's bark. you don't you don't need to stay anymore that that's it's okay. just covered with the blue purple berry right now right correct so that is a yeah. that is what it's called ligustrum japonicum if you want to be totally botanically correct but everybody just calls it japanese ligustrum or jap ligustrum yes sir okay good deal i'm gonna wage war on them Okay. okay, it's um, you know it is uh, the it's one of the fastest growing dense hedge plants. The only negative to Japanese ligustrum is it can be you know it can be invasive. I do not recommend using it out in the country because it it can spread uncontrollably. But um, in the city, if you know if somebody's looking for a fifteen foot privacy screen very quickly. Uh, I'm not going to condemn it. Every plant has its, you know, its good points and its bad points. And so, uh, the only reason I'm going to tell you to, to really go after it big time is, is over its potential to get too big and over its potential to spread. If those are not issues for you, I'd probably cut off and dispose of those berries, but I'm, I'm not going to remove it just because it happens to be, uh, you know, on the invasive list, uh, unless I'm out in, a, in an area where invasive could be a problem. Does that make sense? Hundred percent, and they're invasive, and they're out in the country, and they're a problem, and they're choking out hundred-year-old trees. So, that's what uh, chainsaws were made for. Exactly. Um, 
Next question. Avocado trees, um, give me a little education about them and how viable of an option are there to have a few of them and actually get production um, in years to come as far as uh, water, freeze, all those Where, questions you got to ask yourself. Okay. <laughs> Where do you live, Baron? Uh, Shiner, Texas. Okay, in China, you're yeah, that's you're you're not any colder. If you if you told me you were in Kerrville, I'd say forget it. If you told me you were in uh, in Corpus, I'd tell you wonderful. And and China's uh, you know home of all sorts of good things. So could be the home of good avocados. Here here's the story on avocados. The avocados that you buy in the grocery store, California uh, avocados, Calavo, and you know all those all those famous brands are not cold hardy. Uh, I would not plant you know everybody has to grow an avocado seed when you're a kid but uh, that's not what you want to plant in your yard because it's going to freeze and die at some point uh the so-called mexican avocados and weird names like joey and opal and you know lot there's several different ones and they would be potentially a very viable thing for you to grow but here's the story and that is when they are young that's first two or three years you're likely to have them they're going to have a smooth green bark on them and at that point they are not cold hardy if we get severely cold weather you are going to have to cover them protect them one way or another after a couple of years they will have developed a rough bark and at that point they're going to probably stand up to uh, 19 out of 20 years any you know the kind of cold we get which is you know down even into the low 20s is not going to bother them but the first year or two they very definitely will have to have some protection now they're not big and beautiful like the california avocados are but they taste good they can be very very prolific there's a gentleman a couple blocks from where our nursery is here that he told me he probably picks 20 bushels of avocados a tree uh, a year off of his tree <laughs> and thankfully he invited us anytime we're out walking just stop by and pick a few avocados so uh they are they are very definitely a tree that has the potential to do well for you but they're not going to be they're not going to be as big or as pretty as what you get in the grocery store, but they're still going to be make great guacamole and all the other good things we do with avocados. But that first couple of years, can you have to put a little extra effort into uh, protecting them? Mm-hmm. Good. Water, moderate water, or need a lot of water? Uh, not any more so than um, you know a citrus or a peach or a plum. Uh, uh, once they're established, you're probably going to water real thoroughly every couple of weeks. But uh, they're, you know, they're 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 not a not not a tree that's just really really thirsty. They're going to be pretty much even with uh, just about any fruit tree you can plant. Uh, it takes them a year or two to get those roots really out and established. But at that point, no, just water them when you water everything else. Any major infestation concerns with bugs I've never seen. Yeah. Or- I- uh, you know, most insect problems, and that goes for just virtually any kind of plant that you plant, um, if you plant them properly, meaning don't bury them too deeply and, you know, use uh, have decent soil there, uh, you follow up with organic fertilizing, watering, you are very unlikely to have any problem at all. I've never seen a major problem of any type on an avocado, but um, even most of the other trees that people complain about having lots of problems with, there's usually something wrong in their care that's the reason those pests moved in. So, no, I'm I'm not concerned about disease or insects, either one, on your avocados. Lifespan potential? Um, 40 to 60 years. So a little 
little better than a peach tree, then that's good. Oh, about four times as long as a peach tree. Yeah. Minimum. Definitely. Minimum, yeah. Good. Sounds like fun. Asian persimmon, um, Japanese persimmon. Uh-huh. What are the brands I'm looking for? And tell me a little bit about the fruit. I've heard them referenced on your show, but I don't get much of other than uh, they're kind of weird and they taste really good when you get them right. <laughs> well, they're not really weird. They will, they will be a number of different shapes, and before they are fully ripened, they are so astringent they will pucker you for two weeks. And when they ripen, they have no astringency whatsoever. They are absolutely delicious. Um, you can eat them fresh. You can make uh, cakes. You can make cookies. You can make jams. You can do. Uh, they they are truly a wonderful tree. They are more slow growing than something like a peach or a plum, but they are extremely long live. They could live a hundred years for you. Uh, the names are all going to have uh, sort of an Asian connotation to them. You're going to have Fuyu, F U Y U. You're going to have Tani Nashi, T A N I N A S H I. You're going to have Hachia, H-A-C-H-I-Y-A. I think these are right. And You always hear me quote Mark Twain. It's a sign of a limited intellect if a man can only spell a word one way. But this is going to help you get the right trees. Um, uh, there's another variety called Eureka. Uh, really, the, the main difference you're going to see is going to be in the shape of the fruit. Uh, some of them produce fruit without seeds. It's called Parthenocarpi, and uh, a couple of them in particular may have some fruit with seeds and some fruit, some seeds without, and I guess that sounds a little bit weird, but they grow, you know, they're a moderate-sized tree. They're, they're not a fast-growing tree, but they're a long-lived, durable tree, and also... The only real problems you're likely to have with them are if you're fighting birds and squirrels to get to the fruit first. And uh, it's one of those things you really can't pick it too early because they're best if they're allowed to ripen on the tree. And uh, there are a lot of critters out there that will will want to share the harvest with you, so to speak. But uh, insects and disease are not an issue with, uh, with that type of persimmon. Full sun? Or a little bit of evening shade, or no, all, all the sun for avocados, for persimmons, for just any kind of fruit tree that uh, you want to grow. Uh, full sun's going to be going to be the what you're looking for. Does it make a pretty tree? In other words, would it be in the yard or get it oh, a little yeah. further away? Yeah, no, it's 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 not going to make a big shade tree, but it's a very attractive tree. Yeah, it's fine for yeah. a dooryard tree. Yes, sir. I will check them out. Thank you so much. Um, That'll do it. Who's your compensated drip tubing? Is that something you find in box stores, or is that uh, your you, uh, kind of you might item that- yeah you might find it in a box store, but if you've got anybody around that does sprinkler systems, uh, they're pretty much going to be able to get it for you. It's the Rainbird Company, and uh, um, you know, uh, and if you've got any irrigation suppliers. Uh, over there, uh, we buy it from an irrigation supply company called Longhorn here. I suspect Ewing Irrigation would probably have it. Uh, I have seen, um, I, I've seen sort of a knockoff on it on box store shelves. But uh, if you know anybody that does sprinklers, uh, they can almost certainly get it for you. And um, if you have trouble with that, you could probably order it from somebody like Longhorn and then ship it to UPS or something like that. Or you know, China's not that far away. You got to come to the big city every now and then, and uh, <laughs> and it's not hard to find. Oh no, we'll go to Full Pep. 
Okay, do that. And right. uh, and the much. one thing about it, my experience with it is the tubing lasts for many, many years. The L's and T's and the connectors that you use with it, if they're exposed to bright sun, they tend to get brittle after a couple of years. So uh, after you put it out, and, and some people bury it, I leave it on the surface because I want to be sure that I'm seeing the water you know, coming out, but uh, I always try to put a shovel full of mulch or, or dirt over the connectors, keep the sun off of them so that they'll last as long as the tubing does. Just took lots of good notes. Thank you so much, Bob. It's always a pleasure. Good to talk to you, sir. You have a great weekend. All right. Uh, oh, gosh, uh, we're right up. I need to do a break here. Robert and Jack, you guys will be the next two up. I get to talk about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems, and, gosh, that's just always such a pleasure because it's fun talking about the best of the best. And I tell you, I've seen a lot of roofing companies. I've used a lot of roofing companies in my life and never found one before as good as Southwest Metal Roofing System. Never found anybody as dependable. They give you the best guarantee in the industry. I know they will stand behind it, at least I think they will, because you just never have to call them for anything. Roof's been on my house close to 20 years now. I've never called them once with a single problem. Uh, the same thing's true. I haven't had the roof that long here on Shades of Green, and we did have a truck back into the side of the building one time, and... <laughs> had to get them to replace those couple of panels that were damaged, but they just do the job right. Their workmanship is so superior. They're doing this stuff virtually up to hurricane standards. Uh, uh, we had baseball-sized hail on our roof here at Shades of Green. Didn't even, maybe there's a tiny little dent or two, but didn't do any damage to the roof. And they're just good people to work with. The prices are reasonable. When I got them to put the roof on our groundwater district office, the architect and the builder both said, oh, no, it would be too expensive. Well, I got them to check, and they both came back and said, wow, I didn't know a good roof could be so inexpensive. They just give you all sorts of options to the look of the material, whether you want something that looks like standing seam or slate or shake shingles, they've got it all. Um, they had lots of colors to choose from. Like I say, energy efficiency, insurance savings, so many reasons to choose Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. Give them a call, 210-822-6868. That's 210-822-6868 for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening on a gorgeous Sunday morning. Uh, we talked to Robert and Jack and Judith, and Robert's first. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Bob. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Just fine. Fine. Okay, good. So, first of all, I just want to say uh, thank you for the services that you offered for us uh, every weekend. And, well, my uh, pleasure. appreciate you for your service. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. My pleasure. I get to talk to the nicest people in Texas and sometimes even further away. Yes, sir. Uh, I thought some questions here. Uh, cucumber bitterness, is that due to lack of water? Yes, sir. Uh, if cucumbers are bitter, you're keeping them a little too dry. Okay, good. So I'll check that one off. Uh, I haven't heard you talk much about coffee grounds for the garden or for plants. Okay, uh, Robert, if you can if you can pick up the handset instead of the speakerphone, that's given us a lot of feedback there, and it's a little hard for me to understand you. But uh, coffee grounds coffee grounds are great for the garden. In fact, coffee grounds are um, they're one of the best things to promote beneficial fungi in your garden. And I don't know of any negatives. I don't think I would probably be trying to plant in a hundred percent coffee grounds, but. Every time I walk out of a Starbucks and there's a big silver package there that says grounds for your garden, I grab it and take it home and put it in my garden. So uh, 
Uh, I think coffee okay. grounds are, are ideal. But uh, okay. like I say, the you will you will start having kind of a just a rainbow of. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking pinks and yellows and greens and blues. Uh, and, but all those fungi that start to grow, those are beneficial kinds, not damaging kinds. So don't worry about it a bit. It's a fine way to add organic material to your garden. Oh, good deal. Okay. And also, too, we, we got two money trees. They're called money trees. They're little plants for Christmas. And they're like in a half-gallon pot. And uh, they're about 18 inches tall now. So what's your... What's your recommendations on that when we uh, when we go okay to let's let's um let's get a little better description on them. Do they have kind of a woody trunk and they put up uh like one little stem that'll have like five leaflets out on the end of each one of those things? Each one of the little stems. Okay, uh, properly that's called Pachira. Uh, it's a house plant. It's not an outdoor plant. There, there's a different one called Lunaria that is uh, like a, a, a really odd little annual you can grow. But what you're looking at is a very good house plant. It wants a bright window to grow in. Uh, it's going to grow fairly rapidly. Now, on house plants, it does not harm them to be root bound. The only times that I recommend repotting a house plant is either when it's drying out so quickly you can't keep it watered, and that could become an issue with this plant, or when it gets so top heavy that you can't keep it standing up straight, and that could be an issue with it because it's going to make a pretty big plant. It's going to grow the size of a Scheffler or even a ficus. So, um, what are they, what, in about four inch pots now? How how wide across would you say the pots are at this point? Uh, right now they're small, at maybe six inches. Okay, um, when they, I'd let them get at least eighteen inches tall. At that point, you can move them up to about a ten inch pot. When they get up to be shoulder high or maybe even waist high on you, you go up to like a five gallon size pot or a ten or twelve inch pot. But uh, you never go with a small plant into a great big pot. You want to move them up gradually. But there's no mandate uh, that you have to transplant them at any particular time. If you find that you're having to water them, uh, you know, every day or even twice a day, it's time to get them a little bit bigger pot. But uh, there's no rush in doing it. Whenever you're ready and when you do repot, you're just going to use any good potting soil. Oh, okay. Good, good deal. Okay. And also, too, last year we, we pulled some some uh, little seedlings from our mountain laurel tree. Maybe about uh-huh. five of them. They, they started growing. And so we popped them out, put them in a one-gallon container through through the year, and they're, uh, say, about eight inches tall, honey, about eight inches tall. So uh-huh. what? Uh, how far apart should we put them in the ground, and when should we put them in the ground, or do we go to a next size pot? No, you. I, I would put them in the ground. They're, they're, you have to be extremely careful not to break up the root ball. And the bigger the pot you get, the harder it is to plant it without damaging the root ball. So as long as, uh, long as you're going to be careful not to mow over them, they can, they can be, re, they can be planted in the landscape at any point. If you want to see an individual plant. Um, you need to plant them at least four feet apart. Uh, they're going to grow maybe even six feet apart. I'm looking out the window at one of them here. Uh, if you if you really want to see individual plants, you, you're going to go minimum six feet apart. 
if you want to plant them like Mother Nature does, you can plant them and just let them grow up as one big clump. Uh, the trees really don't mind. They really don't mind being crowded a bit. Uh, they grow wild all over my ranch, and it seems like they always seem to come up in the middle of a little cedar break or something like that, probably because uh, cattle and deer can't get to them as well. So uh, how much you space them out just depends on whether you want just a big clump of Mount Laurels or whether you want to see individual trees. Okay, well, good. Well, we love the fragrance, but they only last oh, yeah. a short time. <laughs> <laughs> like so many things in life, they're like like chocolate. <laughs> I'm thinking one of our managers that is a definite chocoholic. It's it's fleeting, but it's wonderful while it's there. And uh, the fragrance in your Mount Laurels is the same way. You know, fortunately, they're they're a pretty evergreen tree, even when they're not in bloom. But uh, uh, that's that's why you plant a lot of different things in the landscape, so you have different color, different fragrances, uh, different things at all different seasons. If you're into a fragrance, you ought to be planting some uh, sweet olive, which is going to be in bloom usually in January. It's going to be followed by your Mount Laurels. Uh, you know, come uh, late February, they'll probably be in bloom, and then we've got other things that will come on a little bit later into the summer. So uh, enjoy them while they last, but unfortunately it is pretty brief. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Is that the sweet olive? Is that an evergreen? Yeah, it's an evergreen shrub uh, rather than a tree, but uh, just just the name says it all. Osmanthus fragrance is its botanical name, and anything that has the word fragrance in its name, you know it's going to have a good, pleasant scent to it. So, uh, yeah, if you're into if you're into into plants with uh, with good scents, so to speak, uh, sweet olive would be another one you ought to look at. Well, every time I smell those, it just brings my childhood back memories. Uh, <laughs> my parents That's... would have that, and it, you knew when the, you smell that, you knew it was springtime. You know, it's amazing what a strong sense the olfactory sense is. I grew up working in my grandfather's flower shop, and uh, I loved uh, the, there's a cut flower, well, it's also a good garden flower called stock, but it is highly fragrant with a very distinctive uh, aroma to it, and uh, we get those as bedding plants these days. And, you know, when I first get that, that scent, even if I don't see it, it just kind of magically transports me back to my grandfather's flower shop. So, you know, your dad's place, my grandfather's flower shop, uh, it's just a very pleasant memory to have. So, uh, yeah, plant, plant, uh, plant your Mount Laurels out, but look at planting some sweet olives as well. You'll have a, you'll have a whole new set of memories for uh, your kids. Yes, thank you. And my dad would plant this uh, plant and it would vine and he called it a moon uh, a flower and okay. it would come out at night it would bloom mm-hmm. at night and the, yeah. and it's white is, uh-huh. is, is that I mean where can I get that from do you know that that is a type of morning glory and you'll plant it as seeds uh, grows very easily you'll probably be planting it late March early April there's a different shrub they call moonflower that's actually something called datura uh, which um, I don't recommend as highly. Um, it, it's definitely not a vine, and it does have toxic seed pods on it. But uh, that the moonflower that you're speaking of is a flowering vine closely related to morning glories, and uh, seeds should be available in any good nursery, and you're about a month away from planting it. Oh, okay, good, good deal. Okay, well, great. Uh, thank, your, thank you for your help, and uh, appreciate it, and you have a great day. You do the same, sir. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, ah, gosh, I really ought to get a break in here so we don't crowd the top of the hour. Jack and Judith, hold on just a second here while I have the pleasure of talking to you about the Cedar Eater of Texas. And uh, 
Again, I love talking about companies that just do such good things for the environment. And Cedar Eater has done probably more to protect the hill country from that overgrowth of dense uh, ash juniper than anybody around out there. And they do it in such an environmentally friendly fashion. No bulldozing, no burning. The Cedar Eater, they use a machine that cuts the cedar off at ground level and grinds it into a nice mulch all in one operation. If you're ever watching them work, you're going to be wearing hearing protection because that machine is amazing and how fast it works and how much can be done. Now, the rougher the land, of course, the slower they move. But on flatter land, they can clear acres and acres in a single day. They can work right around those trees and things you want to protect, like your mountain laurels or your live oaks or your cedar elms. If there are any places where it's just really dense, really tight with the cedar, they'll send in a hand-clearing crew. They cut it by hand, drag it out in the open, and then the machine makes a wonderful mulch out of it. They are used by the Texas Forest Service, by Parks and Wildlife, by the Highway Department. Lots of folks have discovered what a good job the Cedar Eater does. Um, the smaller acreage, uh, you know, the bigger the acreage, the cheaper it gets per acre because it does cost something to move that big machine around. But I know uh, my neighbor that has a wonderful Valeria Nico's restaurant up in Bernie, he had them on his property, which I guess was about two acres. And, man, they did a beautiful job. And Keith thought that felt like their prices were very reasonable. Have other friends that have used them on properties of uh, hundreds of acres. If you are fighting dense ash juniper if you want to do the best thing you can do for your land for the grasses for the water just to get your land back in good shape you just need to give them a call they have a north texas and a south texas location you access both through the same phone number which is 210-745-2743 that's 210-745-2743 for the cedar eater of texas South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. We'll probably finish up this hour with Jack and Judith, and Jack is up first. Good morning, Jack. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you doing today, Bob? I'm great. Looking out at beautiful sunshine, a little bit of breeze, but uh, it's a nice morning out there. How about yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. Just enjoying my coffee on this fine morning. <laughs> I've got my so, cup of tea here, so yes, sir. My question was, I just pulled the last of my cauliflower out of my winter garden, and that's pretty much the last thing that I had to harvest. When is a good time to start the seed starters for my uh, spring garden? Um, well, the only thing that I am really going to be setting out in my spring garden for from transplants is going to be tomatoes, peppers, and eggplant. And if you want to get those seeds started, I'm going to do it pretty much, uh, I probably will do it this coming week, because it takes about six weeks to develop a good transplant. Middle of March is six weeks away, and that's the time that if the weather you know, follows a typical pattern, that's about the time I'll, I'll be planting them out. Now, I do not think it's necessary to start cucumbers or squash, and it's way too early on okra. Things like that, I'm going to direct seed into the garden, so I'm not going to spend the time and effort because it just don't, doesn't really gain anything there. But uh, tomatoes, uh, peppers, and eggplant, those are the things that are going out as transplants, and I'll be starting the seed probably sometime in the next week. Friends way up in the hill country may want to wait a little bit longer. Uh, folks down south do it this afternoon. Well, I'm over by Wincrest. 
Yeah. No, you're in any time in the next week or two, uh, I think it'd be a good time. Now, and then if, you're, it, you're, if it does get down to freezing, I need to bring the trays inside. Oh, you need to start them inside anyway. Um, oh, you you want them. Inside. Yeah, yeah. You you want to try to keep them uh, 60 degrees or above, if at all possible. You want to keep them where they get good bright light. In fact, I start mine on a propagating mat so that uh, uh, that soil is more like 70, 75 degrees uh, if you want uh. to get it off to a really good start. Now, you know, in the generations of our grandparents, a lot of people had what they call cold frames that they would start them inside and then move them into, but Gosh, I haven't seen anybody build a coal frame in, in a lot of years. So uh, if you've got a sunny spot or if you've got a light set up or you've got some good LED grow lights or something like that, uh, get them started. Air movement is important so they develop a really strong stem. But uh, they and they can certainly go outside on, on nice warm days. But uh, we're looking at the potential for close to freezing again about a week from now. So uh, to get them to really grow well, they really need to be 60 degrees or above. Awesome, awesome. And uh, I bought some Malabar from you, oh, going on about three years ago now, and I've been uh-huh. just recycling the seed pods off of that, and it's still going strong. Yes, sir. Easy to do. Easy to do. And I love that Malabar. Thank you for recommending <laughs> it uh, to me to put in my garden. You're certainly welcome. You have a good day, Bob. Well, Thank you. You do the same, Jack. Appreciate the call this morning, and that gives us uh, plenty of time to finish up the hour with Judith. Good morning, Judith. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. So I have a question. Um, I got about two years ago, I got a Parisian lime tree from Rainbow Gardens, okay. uh, along with um, a, a Meyer lemon tree. And uh-huh. the Meyer lemon tree has been producing lemons like crazy, which is lovely. Uh, the Parisian lime, I haven't had one bloom on it. And, you know, they get, you know, pretty much the same treatment, same water, same fertilizing and stuff, full sun um, when, when it's not freezing. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just like, is it just not mature yet or what's going on? No, it, it should be mature. And you're absolutely certain that uh, you didn't have it grow out below the graft. It doesn't have giant thorns on it. It just has small thorns on it. Um, yes, I'm sure of that. I know that my Meyer lemon has big thorns on it, but not the the lime. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it needs to be an absolute full sun. You may need to, you know, increase your fertilizing on it. Uh, there's no reason it should not be blooming because when you're, when you're dealing with a grafted tree and Persian limes are just like Meyer lemons in that they, they graft mature wood onto that rootstock. And so it's already gone through the maturation process. It's not a question of it, uh, you know, having to grow up, so to speak. So um, I would be certain that it's an absolute full sun. I'd be feeding it, has to grow plant or something like that every couple of weeks. And uh, let's let's talk in about two, three weeks and see if you don't have some blooms on it, because you certainly should. No reason, no reason you wouldn't. Now, little Mexican lime can bloom any time of year. The Persian limes are going to bloom about the same time as your Myers lemon. They should. Right. That's why I was really shocked that we didn't have anything on it right now. Um, yeah. And again, it was the second year in a row, so I was like, let me ask about that. <laughs> well, increase your increase your fertilizing and be sure it's an absolute full sun, and um, it it certainly should. 
you know, and, and don't be pruning on it uh, to speak of, but there's no reason you shouldn't be getting uh, flowers at this point uh, if it's a fair-sized plant. Uh, more more sun, more fertilizer are the two best things you could do for it. Right. No, I, I, I don't prune them. <laughs> I don't yeah, good. <laughs> Very good. Um, well, thank you so much for the information. I really appreciate it. Well, you're more than welcome, and when you have the opportunity, if you have the room, invest in one of the little, they call them alternately uh, key limes or Persian limes, and um, and they will give you fruit practically year-round. Now, there is a different lime that's called the kafir, K-A, I think, 2FCIR, or maybe just 1F. That is a lime which is grown almost exclusively for its foliage, used in a lot of Thai cooking, which I absolutely love. So I'm uh, in hopes that you that you didn't get a mislabeled plant because a kefir lime produces virtually no flowers, but a Persian lime should certainly be producing and uh, giving you good fruit. If you're ever over this area, bring a couple of leaves by and let me take a look at that and be sure that you would do indeed have a Persian lime. Yes, I definitely will. Thank you so much again for your help with this. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for the call this morning. All right, about 15 seconds till news time. Grab a line, and uh, we'll get the 10 o'clock hour off to a good start here right after uh, right after news. Beautiful day, uh, getting those 198 cases that came in yesterday unpacked. This is KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555. And if you dial now, you'll get in line right behind Tim and Hank and John because they're going to be my first three callers this morning. And uh, oh, just want to want to send out a birthday wish. I'm not sure exactly which day was her birthday, but I talked on the air yesterday about. Uh, uh, I'll call her an old friend, not just a long-time friend, but uh, Mary Margaret Burgess celebrated her 100th birthday yesterday over in Castroville. And, of course, she and her husband have Medina Valley greenhouses for many years. Thank all of you guys that participated in the parade to wish her a happy birthday. And Mary Margaret, just uh, from all of us here at Shades of Green, hope hope the 100th birthday is uh, one of your best ever. Uh, we're talking to Tim and Hank and John, and Tim is up first. Good morning, Tim. Hey, good morning, Bob. I good morning. you and your show. Thank you, sir. I've got a couple of questions here for you. Um, a while back, you talked about crushed granite on a slope and mm-hmm. and what to mix with that to hold it in place. And and I got interrupted, and I didn't get to hear that. <laughs> okay. You've got two options here. Um, the cheap and easiest way to go is just Portland cement. Now, you know, you sound like a, a knowledgeable guy, and uh, but not everybody realizes the difference in cement and concrete. Cement is the binding agent in concrete. And so you're going to get, it's called Portland cement, it comes in 80-pound bags. And when I'm going to, when I want to stabilize the, uh, um, the decayed granite, I add maybe a, a, a heaping shovel or a shovel and a half to a whole wheelbarrow full of granite. Uh, you're not going to see it. It's all you're going to see is the uh, is the decayed granite. But it really does it really does hold it in place. Um, the other option is to use um, let's just call it a glue. Uh, it's not really a glue, but it's a, it's a polymer. It's a liquid that you can apply that uh, also holds it in place. The concrete, you know, or the cement rather, uh, it'll form really kind of a hard, crusty, 
Uh, granted, it looks great, but and it stays in place very well. But if it's a, a high-visibility place, the other option is to go somewhere like Stone and Soil Depot, and they have this polymer that you just, in effect, spray on it after you put it down, and it also tends to hold it in place and prevent erosion. That sounds great. That sounds great. I appreciate that. My yeah, the polymer is going to be a little more expensive, but it's going to be a little less work. Yeah, it's right by the, the uh, front uh, entryway there. So yeah, then that, that, that yeah, yeah. Talk to uh, I don't well whichever location you go to, but Stone and Soil Depot is where I buy it, and and I do both. I have places like on Jeep roads and things like that that I really want to hold it in place. I use the Portland cement. I have places on some flat walkways where I have flagstone that I use, um, I, and I can't remember the name of it. it. Comes in a gallon container, moderately expensive, but you're not going to need much of it. Okay. Thank you. My my second question is uh, on my backyard. I'm looking for backyard plants. Uh, I'm recently mm-hmm. retired, and um, I'm trying to keep the maintenance to the backyard to, to uh, a limitation. So uh, I've got a bunch of rocks that I have to mm-hmm. mow around. Is okay. there anything that I can plant within those rocks to, to just spread over the top so I won't have to worry about weed eating in between those? Oh, sure, sure. Um, is this sunny or shady? Um, mostly sunny. Okay. Um, the, uh, there, there are a lot of different things. If you're, if you're into a xeric look, uh, there are a number of very succulent ground covers, primarily different varieties of sedum that you could plant out there. Um, if you want a little bit lusher look, there are plants like Asian jasmine or Asiatic jasmine. The only real problem with the Asian jasmine is that it does take a couple of years to really get established, but uh, uh, it requires a third as much water as grass does. It's uh, dense enough. Once it's established, it's dense enough to pretty much keep out uh, weeds, but like I say, you're gonna, you're gonna wait a little while for it to get that thick, unless it's a small area and you can buy bigger plants. Most people buy it in four inch pots because, you know, people may buy hundreds of plants sometimes that they're doing a really big area. But it's gonna be my number one choice for a green, tough, resilient ground cover. Now, there are other options. Uh, there's a silver-leafed uh, dichondra called Silver Pony's Foot uh, that could be used. Uh, there is, I was talking to a caller early in the show about a, a faster spreading ground cover called Vinca, uh, either Vinca Major or Vinca Minor. Grows much faster, but it's occasionally susceptible to a little caterpillar that will just eat the foliage off overnight if you don't spray for it. But, uh, yeah, there, there are a number of different options or, you know, some people would just put a bunch of mulch down. Some people would use your decayed granite in that area and use the polymer to uh, hold it in place and then just set some pots on top so you have a nice look but no weed eating to do. Yeah, yeah I did do the uh, some of that. I, I have put um, um, mulch in there and, and mulched that up. Um, what about, I heard you talk about Queen's Crown before. Would that do any? Queen's Crown, to really be beautiful, needs something to climb on. Uh, uh-huh. You could certainly put a trellis or pergola or any kind of structure out there. And Queen's Crown is one of your, uh, it's beautiful, it's fragrant, it blooms for a long period of time, but it goes away completely in the winter months. If you don't mind having a bear look out there, and if you give it something to climb on, uh, Queen's Crown uh, would be, there's a pink, pink form, a dark pink form, and a white form, and they are among the showiest, most easily maintained plants, uh, you know, for, for a sunny spot. 
Awesome. Well, I appreciate you. And what you need to do, too, is go down to the Botanical Garden, uh, go just, you know, walk. I'm sure if you're retired, you're probably going to be out getting a little more exercise than you ever have before. And when you see a landscape that you really like, take a picture of it. And uh, yeah. if you have any questions about it, take it, uh, bring it to me or bring it to any good person that knows plants and say, hey, what's this that this guy or gal that's got growing in their yard? I really like it. And uh, we can we can tell you whether it's suitable for what you want to do. Uh, at this point, your life should be filled with fun projects. <laughs> and uh, the one thing I would stay away from is weed block and that sort of stuff. That's yeah. uh, that's a problem causer. But uh, you've got a lot of options of things you could do out there. Great, great. Glad to hear it. Thank you, sir. You're certainly welcome. And if you decide you want to put a deck out there, let me tell you about a the most incredible new type of uh, it's it's not a special it's a special treatment process of wood. Uh, I just got through building a whole greenhouse out of it here at the nursery and put a deck inside of the greenhouse. But it's called Eco Vantage or Eco Prem. It's a super kill dried wood. It's the only thing I would ever build a deck out of. Uh, no chemicals involved, but they've had this stuff in ground contact in East Texas for 30 years with no rotting. They've had it for pilings in swamps for 30 years with no rotting. It does not warp. It does not cup. Uh, it's absolutely beautiful. If you decide you want to do an outdoor kitchen or, you know, put a deck or something out there, uh, I'd love to tell you about this stuff because it is, uh, I, I'm just super impressed with it. I'm sure you can tell. Yes, yes. Well, I appreciate that because that's definitely in the future. Very good. Appreciate it and enjoy your retirement, Tim. Call me anytime I can help. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right. Uh, next up is uh, is Hank. Good morning, Hank. Good morning, Bob. Can you hear me on my speakerphone? Uh, you'd be a, you'd be a lot better on. You'd be a lot better with a headset. Uh, we get a bad echo and feedback on that. So, uh, um, if you, yeah, that's a lot better. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Certainly. I was told by. Uh, someone that's really into landscaping to use uh like iron stakes for your trees like from a uh, rebar left over from construction sites cut them up and <clears throat> stick them down into the ground yeah and what you're doing is, is just trying to keep people from driving into the area no for for the for the uh, it to be a lot more natural or a lot more uh, better for the tree Oh, you don't need to stake a tree. The worst thing you can no. do is probably stake a tree. I wouldn't use anything to stake a tree. Um, it, if you stake a tree, it's going to not develop nearly as strong a trunk. If you're in an area that is so windy that you just have to give it a little support, I would, you know, guy it up with ropes, just kind of pulled out four different directions. But staking a tree is a very bad idea to begin with, and it will slow down the development of your tree and, uh, um, you know, it'll keep it from forming a really strong trunk. Now, if for some reason I had to use a stake, I, and I, what I do, you know, because I live in deer country, if I'm planting a tree and I'm worried about the deer rubbing up against it and things, I will use an iron stake. I'll use a T-post and I'll just put two or three of them around and tie it up with a little bit of baling wire. But I'm, I, I'm just not into driving something into the ground to tie your trees up to because that, that really impairs the development of a tree. No, I, I didn't mean it that way. I'm, I actually meant like cut pieces of, of steel, like rebar, uh-huh. like six inches, and drive uh-huh. them into the ground. For, no, the, to get a to get a tree to get the tree iron is that true? No, sir. 
No, sir. That's <laughs> the kind of the kind of iron you're you're getting there. You go out and buy a product called Green Sand. It's a lot less work. It won't mess up your lawnmower. I've hit a piece of rebar with a lawnmower, and you don't want to be doing that. I promise you. But but no. And and I've heard rusty nails. I've heard a hundred different right. things. But the form of iron that that makes rust, ferric oxide, uh, is not something that's really going to benefit your plants. But there's a great product out there, inexpensive, and it doesn't stain you don't have to worry about that's the other thing about iron of any sort you get it on your concrete you'll never get the stain up but uh you just want to go to a you know a good building supplier a good nursery and ask for texas green sand and you'll be giving your trees the best iron source you could use fantastic okay uh fig tree growth i've, I've talked to you oh maybe not two or three years ago and you told me uh to mulch them heavily around three inches and actually soak them real well well it did yep. grow probably twice as much but it was only like maybe a foot, foot and a half. Now, of course, it's maybe four foot, but uh-huh. I want that puppy to grow. Well, we'll put plenty of add some fertilizer to it. You've mulched and you've watered, and those are both very important. But uh, uh, you can either use a dry granular organic fertilizer about four times a year, or if you're wanting that thing to jump up and hit you in the face, just get a good liquid like Medina's has to grow or their new fish formula, and uh, mix it up. You know, three or four gallons at a time. Use it about every two weeks, and uh, you should get incredible growth if it is a big fig. Now. Now, there, there are a few dwarf figs out there. There's one called Little Miss Figgy. People, I love their plays on words. But uh, if you're growing Almas or Lest or Texas Everbearing, any of those, um, if it's three feet now, it ought to be six feet high, you know, by summertime or by the middle of summer. So, yeah, get you some good liquid organic fertilizer and be using it every two weeks. I will. One other, two other questions, quick, quick ones. I have two persimmon trees that are you know, bought out of you know, at Home Depot, whatever, out of a little container. And they're really slow growing. How can I get them to go? Well, they're the Asian they're growing, they're green. Yeah, Asian persimmon is just slow. It's going to grow about a third as fast as a fig, no matter what you do. But giving them that same uh, has to grow every couple of weeks, uh, that will give you the maximum possible growth. And because it is a, a natural product, it's not going to give you a thin, spindly growth. It's going to be the kind of growth you want. But Asian persimmons, um, that's just like expecting an oak tree to grow as fast as a sycamore. It's just not going to happen. But uh, you'll be giving it its, its best chance with regular feeding. Okay. And last question. I had some uh, okra seeds from last uh, last summer that grew fairly well, and I kept yes. whatever didn't grow, and I just kept them, put them in the greenhouse and let them dry up. Is it time to plant them? No, sir. Okra is a real hot weather plant. Uh, you know, it's probably, I usually don't put my okra in the ground till the middle of April or the 1st of May because it simply won't grow. It'll sit there in the ground without sprouting, and if it sprouts, it'll be very, very, very slow. Uh, okra doesn't like it warm. It likes it hot. So when it gets to the point that you're really sweating every day, that's the time you want to plant your okra. I can't wait. <laughs> you me too i can usually take off enough clothes to cool down i have trouble putting on enough to stay warm sometimes in the winter months but no okra is okra is your summertime friend i'll take care of that thank you bob have a great day you do the same Hank. thank you sir <laughs> goodbye Bye-bye. all right john gotta get a break out of the way here you will be up next i get to talk about the tank depot and uh 
You know, you don't think about it, but all of a sudden something pops up in life and you need a tank. Maybe it's rainwater catchment, and that's certainly the the biggest trend these days, but maybe a tank for the back of your pickup, maybe an open-top tank, a bait tank, chemical storage tank. You don't want to just buy what's sitting out by the side of the road. You want to get good quality at a very reasonable price, and that's why you need to know about the tank depot. That's especially true if you're making a major commitment to do something like rainwater catchment, because we're talking big tanks. And you want them to be very, very durable. You don't want them to have them cracking and breaking after a year or two. And I can promise you that's what those box store tanks are known for. Tank Depot deals only in quality, only the very best brands, and yet they have the most uh, affordable prices you can imagine. And if you're in rainwater catchment, they're going to have all the uh, accessories to go along with that, first flush filters and, uh, you know, on-demand pumps, things like that. They've got a tremendous selection, larger tanks especially. They're happy to offer you delivery. And uh, they don't do gutters, but they'll give you a lot of help with the setup as well. Tank Depot's been around for a lot of years. The retail yard here in San Antonio is just south of Rigsby Avenue over on Southeast Loop 410. On Sundays, in fact, on weekends, you can always check them out online at tank-depot.com. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be John and Kathy and E.T., and John is up first. Good morning, John. Morning, Bob. How are you? I'm good, sir. How about you today? Oh, it's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. Too beautiful to be at work, that's for sure. Oh, well, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, somebody gave me a great t-shirt for, uh, Christmas and it says, I couldn't go to work because my arm was in a cast. And of course, the guy had a fly rod in his hand and he was casting. So that's, <laughs> that, that's one of those days. It's a little windy even for, you know, for casting well, but, uh, it's a great day for gardening. I'll put it that way. How are you doing? Yes, I'm doing great. Uh, good. The question is, I've got a, got a small dilemma. I've got an orange tree, and then within five feet from that, I've got a pomegranate tree, and then five feet from that, I've got a, I don't know what it was, but it's bitter right now. <laughs> okay. And I'm thinking it lost its graph. I have a friend of mine that wants the pomegranate tree, so I'm going to dig that up and give it to him. And okay. And I wanted to plant either a key lime or a, uh, a Myers lemon or a valley lemon. Okay. Uh-huh. And then the on the other side, I wanted to do whatever I plant in the middle. I want to plant the opposite on the other end. So I'll just probably I'll probably just end up taking that sour lemon or lime or whatever it is. It's really, really sour and it's got a lot of seeds in it. I don't know what happened. I guess it lost the grass. Yeah, probably it grew out from the graft point and it lost the top of the tree. So. Um... Yeah, it's you could regraft it if you wanted to. Uh, you gain a little time, and you know, would save a little money. I mean, you could you could actually use wood from, uh, you know, uh, uh, and I like Myers lemon better than the Valley lemons. Uh, Myers lemon is a little more cold hardy, and uh, is it's the sweetest, thinnest skin lemon out there. But you know, if you just love lemons, there's Ponderosa, which is a huge lemon. Uh, there, you know, there, there are all kinds of choices out there. The most cold hardy thing, of course, is going to be a satsuma, a tangerine. But uh, your Myers yeah. lemon is going to be cold hardy down to about 26. All of your limes are only going to go down to freezing. So, just kind of depends on uh, balancing what you love in uh, in citrus with how much work you're willing to do to protect it. Yes, they're they're on the south side of the house. 
to uh-huh. a house, the north wind will protect them a little bit, and then I can wrap them, wrap yeah. them as I need to. Hopefully, you won't need to a lot. But I've I've lived here a long time, and unfortunately, I've seen ten degrees. I hope we never see it again in the next twenty years or so. But uh, um, yeah, if uh, you're unlikely to have to do a lot of protecting, and being on the south side of the home, as long as it's got good sun, uh, I I pretty much plant whatever you whatever you enjoy. Yeah, they they stay in full sun. They're right at the end of my driveway. They stay in full sun, and. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm down in Woodsboro, so we okay. don't get nearly as cold as y'all do. Yes, sir. Yeah, there you 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 plant what you like, <laughs> and uh, and the the one thing I will tell you, yeah, one just w- one one other thing to tell you is there's a good little citrus called a kumquat. It's a little. Some of them are long, some of them are round, but those are ones we eat skin and all. And uh, it can produce any time of year. It's not something you have to wait, you know, for a full season to produce. It can bloom any time. It can produce and produce any time. And the same thing's true of the so-called key lime, also known as a Mexican lime. Those are citrus that can bloom any time and can produce fruit any time. Uh, other things like your all of your uh, lemons and tangerines, things like that, they're going to be basic things that bloom in the early spring late winter and then you're waiting till the end of summer or fall to you know to harvest and enjoy but if you're just if you're just the guy that's into citrus think about planting uh, either key limes and or some kumquats and you'll have some good citrus harvest practically every day of the year that's i was leaning towards the key lime yeah i was leaning yeah. towards the key lime after i after i get the pomegranate out i was leaning towards putting the key lime right there because the orange tree the first year we lived there, it didn't produce any. It had blooms all over the tree, and it didn't produce anything. The next year, it had a lot of blooms, and it had probably, I don't know, 30 to 50 fruit on it, and they were all good and sweet. And I, just, I couldn't good. keep my girls away from them. <laughs> That's what it's all about. My, my girls and my father-in-law, they, the girls would take the low ones, and he would get the high ones. <laughs> and you do all the work, yep. I know that, yeah, I know I, that I, scenario. I, I fertilize and feed and take care of them, and I don't even reap the benefit. Well, welcome to being a man in today's world <laughs> with a bunch of wonderful yeah. women around you. It's it's worth the effort, uh, and you know that as well. But uh, Very good. Well, uh, you know, I think you've got a good plan. Um, how, how big is the pomegranate skin to have to be transplanted? It's probably about eight foot tall, nine yeah. foot tall. Yeah, that's a transplantable size, but be sure your friend's going to do the work because it's going to be a job to get a big enough root ball on it. And I have to tell you, you're probably going to have it sprout back up from sections of the root. Pomegranate's kind of hard to get rid of once you got it up and growing, but just be prepared to get in there and chop out a little bit when it comes up. You'll ultimately get it under control, but uh, get your friend that wants to have it to get a good big root ball, get as much of that root system as he can. Okay, Bob, I appreciate it. It was probably, it's probably going to be as bad as the uh, the Mexican petunia that keeps coming back. Well, at least you can get rid of that one with a grubbing hoe. This uh, this pomegranate is going to take some serious digging, but uh, you know, once it's done, it's done, and you can get on with uh, with the things that make you and and <laughs> the girls and the father in law and the extended family happy. Bob, I appreciate it. Always a pleasure, John. You get out and have a great day. Certainly. And uh, next we'll talk with Kathy. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, Bob. Hey, I 
going a little crazy right now, but I bought a muscadine grape. Do they grow here? Um, not like they do in East Texas, but you know, they're they're they would not have been the grape that I would have chosen. But if you have it, you know, plant it where it's got soil that drains well, it's got plenty of sun, and you've got something you can trellis it up on, and um, it, it'll be a little bit of work, but you'll do okay with it. But not going to give you the quantity of production that Champanel or something like that will. Champanel. Yeah, Champanel is uh, a really good variety. There's one that has a little smaller grape, but super sweet. It's called Black Spanish. also goes by its French name, which is Lenoir, L-E-N-O-I-R. Those are probably the two best productive grapes for this area. Okay, and they're seedless? No, there is no seed. Yeah, there's there's not a seedless grape that's really going to do well for you. The problem is not will it grow. The problem is how disease susceptible is it. And all of our seedless uh, grapes, there they do really really well for two or three years, and um, and you know then they start having some issues. Um, I you know you can try uh, you know a seedless grape or two, but I'd be sure have a. You know, some some good like a good champanel growing. I just I, I think about that. I had a friend that planted four champanels a uh, little way south of here, and he told me uh, uh, the second year he got four bushels of grapes off of four plants, and uh, that's you know that, that's really good production. Uh, they do have a seed, but they can be used as a table grape, as a wine grape, or as a jelly grape. Um, and, and so, you know, plant your muscadine, and, uh, but if you're really serious about growing grapes, I think there are a couple of them are going to be a little bit more productive and a little bit more disease-free for you. Okay. Then I bought a Nankeen, Nankeen cherry. Mm-hmm. Is that good here? Are you planning to move to Washington, Washington State? Uh, no, that's where I moved from. <laughs> <laughs> I wish if if we had a cherry that grew and produced in South Texas, I'd have a I'd have a pasture full of them. And I have tried, I think, every cherry that came along that promised to be good for this area, and I've never had one that lived more than a couple of years. Uh, they they just simply we don't have the climate to grow a good edible cherry. I mean, we've got we've got something called an escarpment cherry that's a native plant, but it certainly does produce anything edible now there's an interesting thought we might try grafting something like that onto a native cherry rootstock but uh, uh, again I wish you luck with it but if it were that easy everybody in town would have some because there's just nothing better than a good uh, than a good cherry so uh, hopefully you've got, still got some friends back in Washington state that'll send you send you a gift package every now and then because you're you're not going to grow them yourself here unfortunately. Okay, how about a wonderful pomegranate? Can you tell I went to Proctor Supply? <laughs> and I just started buying. It was like, oh, well, oh, oh. Yeah, go to a good nursery next time. Wonderful pomegranate is a very good pomegranate. It's an older variety. It's one of the most productive, one of the most dependable producers. So, uh um, you've got a pretty good choice there, uh, and it's going to make a big bush, that beautiful orange flowers, followed by a very delicious fruit. But you're going to have to plant it in full sun, give it room, because it's going to grow, oh, what are mine, probably 10, 12 feet tall and 8 or 10 feet across. So it uh, grows as a bush, not as a tree, but uh, that one should grow and produce very well for you here. 
Okay, and then I bought a thornless raspberry and a thornless blackberry because I am so tired of getting stuck. Do they grow here? No. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I wish, uh, you know, uh, they just don't. I've tried every thornless blackberry out there. Uh, some of them came very highly recommended, and as it turns out, they do really well in North Texas, but they just don't do here. So uh, you may get a year or two of production out of them, but I'm when I'm planting trees and, and berry bushes, I want something that's going to grow for the next, you know, 10 to 20 years. And uh uh, unfortunately, tractor supply is not a good place to shop for for living things. Uh, I buy slime there. I buy, you know, cattle feed there. I buy a lot of things at tractor supply, but plants are not one of them. And if they'll take them back, I'd, I'm afraid I would see if, see what their return policy is. And you need to head over somewhere like Fanix that, uh, you know, has been in business for 80 years or more and uh, can really help you. Now, Fanix does some experimental things, but they also carry the tried-and-true things as well. And, uh um, you know, there's some things that are fun to play with, like blueberries, but you're going to end up, you know, spending as much. You're going to, they're going to cost you about a dollar a berry by the time you get them all, all <laughs> into production. But uh, above all, I don't want you to get discouraged because, you know, Kathy, you can grow wonderful things here, but a lot of people get crappy plants or they get bad advice, um, and they end up planting something and then they blame themselves because it doesn't do well. Most of the plants that you've described to me here, the best uh, horticulturist in the world could not grow them here outside of building a thousand square foot greenhouse. Okay, all right. So with I'm a, just, with the yeah. twenty foot ceiling. It, the problem I made was then I went to Phoenix too. So <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of, I mean, it's spring. It's like okay. Yeah. I. I would like to put my lime and my lemon trees in those huge molasses containers sure. because um, we have a really hard time with um, anything I put on the ground. If I move it in three days, I have so many fire ants under it. Sure. And sure. Uh, if, or, or I have the leaf cutter ants that just walk in and, you know, I wouldn't mind sharing, but they don't share. They want it all. Yeah, um, yeah like some people I know. But anyway, we won't go there. <laughs> but, no, you can, you can do just fine. Yeah, you can do fine in a molasses tub, uh, you know, with the lemons and limes both. You will occasionally have to protect them uh, because limes, limes will suffer at or below freezing. Myers lemon will go down to about 26 degrees. But if you're looking for citrus that you can just put out there and not worry about, then you have to go things like the tangerines, the uh, satsumas, uh, that kind of plant. But lemons and limes can certainly be grown. Just be aware that uh, in a typical winter, you'll have probably half a dozen days you need to protect them. Okay, because I've been protecting them so far, and my limes are producing. They're in sand. I didn't put them in a tub. They're already. They already have little baby limes on them. So <laughs> Good for I you. Probably wait. I should wait till fall to dig it up and put it in a pot, or should I just do it now um, because it's just going to be harder to dig up. Yeah, it's going to be more and more to try to dig. Uh, if you've got your molasses tubs and got them full of soil. Uh, you know, these have been in the ground a very short period of time, so I would very definitely go ahead and say you're fine to go ahead and transfer them to their permanent home, which is going to be that big molasses tub. Okay, so where do I get those molasses tubs? Because Fanix? I have a few. Yeah, Fanix, uh, I had a caller early this morning that told me Fanix had some to sell over there. 
Um, oh, and okay. other than that, I'd try a feed store. I'd try uh, Morales Feed or somewhere like that. Uh, and they probably would have them. Or, you know, you, you may be able to just, uh, um, you know, put up a sign that says wanted molasses tubs, or you might even just Google it and see if anybody, uh, I know there's a guy here in town that sells barrels called Dave the Barrel Man, so you just need to find Mo the Molasses Man. And, uh, but any, any farmer or rancher that puts out feed in those things, uh, is gonna have a surplus of them. But I'd, I'd talk to a farm and ranch store and, uh, may have to make two or three calls, but I'm sure you'll find them. Okay, cause I, I want, you know, 50 of them, and so it's like, don't, don't want to pay a whole bunch. Because I want, sure. you know, because, of course, my eyes are bigger than my labor force, well, which is me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So just, just do, them, do them one at a time. It's kind of like buying those expensive tomato cages. I allow myself to buy five a year, and all of a sudden I've got all the tomato cages I'd ever need. So just get them, get them one at a time or two at a time. Don't make it too much work all at one time. But uh, you'll find them, and you'll do well with them, Kathy. Thank you so much, Bob. Have a great day. You do the same. Appreciate the call. All right, E.T., hang on. need to get my last uh, live spot done here, and it is somebody that I love to talk about, and that is Rhonda. Rhonda's Nature's Way. You know, talk about somebody who has helped people live better naturally for a lot of years. I just what a special friend Rhonda has become. And, you know, I first got acquainted with her long, long time ago, and uh, she just has so many things that will help you feel better, live better naturally. I happen to be a big believer. I mean, vaccines may be fine, but I think the number one most important thing you do is keep your immune system strong. I take a couple of things that I get from Rhonda just for immune support. And she is she's so much more than, uh, oh, I guess you'd call her a natural pharmacy. It, it, the quality for her vitamins, for her supplements, just so much better than you're going to find in the grocery store or a chain pharmacy. But she has so much more, and she has so many different wonderful products. And just about everybody is into, uh, you know, dieting at one time or another. She has things that will help you and help make your diet work and yet not deprive you, even if you have a substantial sweet tooth. I got some chocolate that's mock fruit sweetened uh, from her recently <laughs> and let me tell you what it's as good as any dark chocolate I've ever had in my mouth and uh, it doesn't have any sugar in there to to increase the uh, the the waistline so to speak uh, I love some of her granolas most recent one I've tried is a cherry almond granola and it is absolutely wonderful now it's non-gmo it's not organic but it's really good stuff and I've, I've tried several of her granolas and loved them all if you just into having that little sweet cupcake we need to get something called smart cakes they are absolutely delicious cupcakes that aren't filled with all the things you don't need to be eating i i could just go up and down the aisles at Rhonda's and just you know find so many good things and i rely on her for advice and uh, she does the uh, she actually does uh reflexology there at the north side store and that's an incredible experience she does red light therapy and beamer light therapy at both stores and those are things even your medical doctors will certainly tell you are good good for you if you just want to live better naturally if you're fighting cedar you need a product she carries called cedar x other allergy problems you need uh, one that i've got from her called seasonal allergy relief 
Rhonda is a wonderful person with two wonderful stores. Both of them closed on Sundays, but open the other six days. Southside stores over on Southwest Military, Northside stores in the shopping center there at the corner of I-10 and Callahan. Uh, not a big place, kind of across the parking lot from Sprouts. Keep your eyes open when you go out there, and uh, you just you live better naturally when you're dealing with my friend Rhonda over at Rhonda's Nature's Way. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening here. It's going to be E.T., Ethan, and J.T., and uh, E.T. is up first. Morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. How are you today? I'm doing very well. It's a beautiful day out there, and another hour and 15 minutes from now, I'll get to be out and be part of it, but uh, sure, it looks like a pretty day. Okay, i got a couple of quick questions for you. Strawberries, are they perennial? Or are they annual? Will they come back from last year? Um, they really never go away. Uh, strawberries will tend to, they're perennial, but what they're going to do is they're going to put off little offsets. They put on sort of a shoot, and then they form a whole little, little plant out on the end of that shoot. And uh, the, the big central plant will live a year or two or three, but it's always making new little plants around it. So if you have a good strawberry patch, you'll probably only plant it once. But uh, the same plant is is not gonna is not gonna live forever, but it continues to make new little plants around it. Uh, once you've grown them a, a time or two, you'll understand that completely. Okay, great, thank you. Yesterday you was talking about clover, and in my containers I got little patches of clover. Should I uh-huh. just leave it alone, or should I dig them up, turn them over, or maybe dig them up, put them in a metal container, and like dry them out, and then you know sprinkle them back in there. Well, I don't think clover hurts anything. If you don't like it, you can just pull it out. But it's actually building the soil rather than taking anything away. So uh, um, I, you know, I I just let clover grow. Now it has a cousin called called oxalis that can be a little bit more invasive, but. I it, it's certainly nothing that's a big issue. I mean, I pull it out of it's trying to grow in the pots with my orchids and things like that. I'll pull it up and discard it, but it's nothing to it's nothing so to okay. get upset about. So it's okay. Maybe just dig it up, turn it over. You know, let it sure. decompose. Okay. And one absolutely question. I got one strange question. When one vacuums the carpet or the rug, and you have a combination of dirt, cat hair, and dog hair. Can I set it up put it in the trash bin? Can I just uh, put it in a container? Maybe I add a little bit of potting soil. Would that make a good uh, growing medium? Well, I would just I would throw it in your compost pile, just raw as is. It needs to break down and decompose a little bit. But if you've got an unused corner out in the backyard or wherever, just basically, you know, make a compost pile out of it. Add your leaves, add your coffee grounds, and uh, you know, hair, whether it's human hair or pet hair, is actually full of proteins, which are good fertilizer once they've decomposed a little bit. So, yeah, throw it in the compost pile. Don't throw it away. Okay, thank you. Uh, can you ask Dr. Kirby a question when he comes up? I keep hearing about dogs and coronavirus, how they can smell out uh, drugs or they can smell out, you know, cancers. And what's his uh, his take on uh, dog smelling <laughs> for the coronavirus? Uh, dogs that, that sniff coronavirus. I I will ask him about that. And okay, you get well, out and have you. a... 
Have a good day, T. Thank you, sir. Okay, thank uh, you goodbye. Well, I do have a great day. Thank yourself. you. You too. Thank you. Bye. All right. Let me get my last break out of the way here so we'll know exactly how much time we have left for Ethan and JT. And uh, Don, let's run those recorders and get back. Good one, Don. That's that's a toe tapping fishing song. <laughs> He's sitting there tapping that toe on the bottom of the boat. Yep. Well, Mr. Don Cooper Stevens always finds a good fishing song for us, uh, or at least a good outdoor song. Occasionally a hunting song, but usually a fishing song for the last commercial break of the show. Ah, let's get right straight back to the phone calls. We get Ethan and JT in. Good morning, Ethan. Good morning, good sir. Good to talk to you again here. Uh, My pleasure. This morning, I've uh, compiled a, a short list of inquiries uh, for yourself uh, on a, several different things here. Hopefully, we have enough time to uh, to get all to them. I uh, give you about two and a half minutes, so let's get started. Uh, earlier today, uh, a gentleman from Divine um, inquired about some sod. Now, you mentioned a corn gluten meal. What's the difference? Any variations uh, as far as uh, between corn gluten meal and a and a uh, ground? Cornmeal uh, soaked for trichoderma. Okay. Uh, cornmeal, uh, you know, is whole ground. It's the whole kernel of corn ground up, and it supports the trichoderma. Corn gluten meal is the protein component that's left behind after they squeeze all the compost out of it. Corn gluten meal is used as a fertilizer or a pre-emergent herbicide not to generate trichoderma growth. Okay, pre-emergent herbicide. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. Asiatic jasmine is as a cover crop. Um, uh, any flowers or t- jasmine typical terpenoid expression uh, for the smell? No. Asiatic jasmine has no visible flowers. Confederate jasmine is uh, the one that gives us all the wonderful fragrance, but it's an upright climbing vine. Asian jasmine's a spreading ground cover. Uh, it can occasionally bloom, but you wouldn't even know it. Okay. And the Confederate jasmine, um, that is perennial or it's annual? Or annual? It's an evergreen vine. It's an evergreen vine. Okay, okay. So, okay cool, my bad. Uh, now, cold compost versus traditional compost? Um, you know, anything that is, you know, living eventually breaks down and it will go through a heat producing time when it's still cooking, so to speak. Once it has finished its primary breakdown, then the temperature goes away and at that point is a finished compost and it is in effect the perfect compost. It's hard to find because, you know, it shrinks in volume and, uh, your, your compost might <laughs> Just want to sell it by the yard. So uh, uh, the the colder compost, if it's finished producing, that's going to be the best compost you can find. If, if the goal is to sell it, uh, it's however one's green, one sells it's a little different. Uh, at least for myself. Um, now, uh, clover building the soil. How does how does that work? What what's the uh, the, uh, the science behind it? Okay, uh, clover. 
Clover, let me finish. Clover forms little nodules on the roots, which are filled with a bacteria that has the capability of taking nitrogen from the air and converting it into fertilizer, and that's how it does it. And uh, and I'm gonna let me let me jump on to JT. So well, uh, we got a couple of minutes left. Good morning, JT. Hey, good morning, Bob. Thanks. Before I get to my question about chili piquins, I just wanted to say that the secret to good cherries here for uh, pies and cobblers. Or order them, we order them by the case in quart jars from Chuck and Cherries in Seattle. Uh, that's uh, that's awesome. the best plan. Yes, sir. Okay. That's right. On chili, piquin, on chili piquins, uh, if I, we've got them growing wild out here. And if yes, I sir. harvest some of the dried up seeds and their pods now, peppers now, they've been frozen. We've had mid to low 20s around here. Are those seeds going to be mm-hmm. viable? They are viable, but they are very hard to germinate. What you're going to need to do, uh, you know, in nature they pass through a bird's intestines, and that's why they call them bird peppers, and then they, they sprout pretty well. If you want to grow your own from seeds, you need to look for potassium nitrate. Also, oh, used to buy it in any drugstore under the name of saltpeter. Uh, you can go somewhere like Analytical Scientific and actually buy potassium nitrate, or you can usually find it in a nursery under the name of stump remover. But uh, you want to put a couple of table, yeah, you want to put a couple of tablespoons uh, to uh, uh, maybe two quarts of water and soak your peppers for oh at least an hour or two before you plant. Uh, you'll you'll just quadruple your germination rate that way. The freezing should not have bothered the seed, but uh, uh, without that, without that saltpeter soak, uh, you'll have very, very low germination. All right, we'll do it. Did you get a chance to try the pollen substitute? I haven't yet. It's been uh, some personal stuff going on, but uh, that's that's on my uh, my Tuesday morning uh, agenda. So uh, it's it's scheduled now. So you ask me next weekend, and I'll give you a full report. Put it out in the saucer and see them take it over. All right. I look forward to doing it, JT. I appreciate you, sir. Thank you so much.